being Tom Cruise, you start making fun of Tom Cruise. Right. It's like, well, we've all done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Yellow. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Howdy. And today we're going to be talking about movies with that stupid premise but but are good yeah you should join our club you and your friend now if you're not going to take this seriously perhaps we should disband the club now <laughs> i love being a part of things or or underseen or like all we've been doing <laughs> yes, so far it's our movie club it's our movie club again this time but yeah stupid premise yeah um what uh, do you think before we start what do you think of the concept of the emoji movie now that we've seen trailers for it and things like that i haven't seen a trailer you haven't seen a trailer for it i've only seen the one teaser which had uh uh, steven wright oh really uh patrick stewart yeah Uh, i haven't seen a full like what the story is yet well i think maybe i I may be putting words in your mouth but i think jeremy and i were thinking maybe this is more than we think just on the surface but then i saw a trailer and it looks horrible Mm-hmm. Now, it may be perfectly fine. It may end up being like the the other ones that we're about to talk mm-hmm. about. But like it's just it's it's basically inside out where the guy is only supposed to have one expression, meh. And if he emotes in any other way, he gets sent to like emoji jail, like uh like the inside out like trash pile basically. Man, <laughs> and it yeah. looks awful. Yeah, the what you just described, fuck that. Yep. Yeah. 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 I'm on the fuck that train. Um, <laughs> But uh, you uh, you can't Barrett. You came up with some interesting ones. I, I I'm gonna see if I if I'm gonna debate these or not right. because you came up with some on your best. What did you come up with? Well, I, there are some things that I think we could agree on as being the best, but it may be debatable. Um, I would say the number one that that comes to mind is the Lego Movie. Okay, I could see two sides of this though because when I first heard that the Lego Movie uh, was coming out, I was like, God, really? Like. Okay, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, it's just a, like the Emoji toy. Movie, right? Exactly. It's a toy. What What are you going to do with this? And then I thought almost immediately the other direction of saying, like, this gives you a canvas where you can really do anything. Mm-hmm. With. And you could actually make this a practical, fun, uh, interesting, funny story. And that's the way that they ended up going, thank God. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the, the premise when you hear that is just ridiculous yeah it's absurd i mean you have i mean this is all of course from a child's mind and everything Mm -hmm. and it's essentially the matrix our buddy couch tomato (laughs) did a whole video on it but um but uh but yeah it is it is insane because it's this common this common lego piece this lego man or whatever that is in every lego set or whatever uh can somehow find a way to be uh special in this yeah. whole in this whole group of commonality here and it's got that it's i mean it's no sillier than any other hollywood blockbuster though because no because he comes up with a with something that is a common tale a guy who is chosen as the one a prophecy and so on and so forth so but them not taking it so seriously is yeah. where all, almost all the humor is derived from yeah you know um, these these over the top characters and their self referential stuff, very similar to the stuff that Lord Miller did in Twenty One Jump Street, which I actually have on my best list too. Mm-hmm. 
um, of a ridiculous concept, them winking at how ridiculous it is and mm-hmm. parts of it mm-hmm. within the movie, and that's where the humor's derived from. So I guess a lot of this does, there is there is a lot of parody and satire that lends itself into these type of, uh, this type of genre or subgenre, mm-hmm. if you want to you want to go there um but yeah uh I, I when when this topic came up i was sitting there thinking about it and i started thinking of a lot of absurd movies mm-hmm. uh you would put you would put the matrix down which i thought was interesting it is you call that a stupid premise well okay so that was based on want to fight well that was based on i think it was you were saying that your reaction to the trailer to the well initial. yeah the trailer looked silly but the trailer right? didn't spell out I, th- I would argue it's not a stupid premise now that we've kind of gotten to an age where we can see a future where some of this shit might be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, not the world of the Matrix as presented by the film, but right. humans plugged into computers and systems and whatnot. And I think we're going to get there one day. Um, and then I think I think the movie lays it out well enough. Yeah, this is a difficult one for me to tackle. Part of the reason I didn't do any prep other than forgetting about the <laughs> fact that today was Thursday. Um, is that you know, I think you could call any superhero movie a stupid premise, mm-hmm. right? Kid yeah. gets bit by a spider, gets superpowers, <laughs> swings around on webs in red tights, saves the day. Just on the surface, that's pretty stupid. Yeah. Um, and I also thought of uh, Buffalo '66. That's one. That's one of my favorite movies to describe in one sentence. Uh-huh. I think I told this story on the podcast oh, before, yeah. where my buddy Josh came home. I'm in the middle of watching this movie, and he's like, "What's going on so far?" And I was like, "Well, he kidnapped this girl, and she's pretending to be his girlfriend, but he's just left her at his parents so he can go murder the kicker from the Buffalo Bills." <laughs> and the way that it came out of my mouth, we were all just dying laughing at what an absurd premise. But that's a watchable movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would call that under scene. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm I'm going to end up skewing more towards I'm going to ignore the stuff like Lego Movie or animated films like South Park or superhero films and I'm going to probably focus more on dramas and mm-hmm. um, thrillers that just have a, like a really stupid premise. <laughs> right. That is funny that you boil. Buffalo 66 has a lot of likability in it. If you can get on on board with his character. Well, I yeah, guess. and what about Buffalo 66 informs the fact that Vincent Gallo will end up doing the Brown Bunny later? I mean, it's just, they're completely different yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo 66 is an insanely watchable movie, yeah. and yeah. Brown Bunny is daring you to watch the movie, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, in my best category, I actually, there could be some overlap between best and favorite, as always. Uh, I put adaptation in my uh, my best category. Mm. You're talking about a really absurd premise yeah. here. Um, the story goes, and I guess this is true. I've never really verified this, but Charlie Kaufman was tasked to adapt Susan Orlean's uh, The Orchid Thief. Right. And uh, and the the book doesn't have much of a story to it at all. Right. Or if any story at all. And so, so Kaufman, who is, of course, notoriously like got weird screenplays and Mm -hmm. everything, decides to write himself into the screenplay and make the movie about adapting (laughs) The Orchid Thief, which is an impossible task. Uh And of course, one of Nicolas Cage's, I this might be his best performance. Oh, it's up there. It is way up there, definitely. Uh, Way better than the one he won the Oscar for in Leave It Lost. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, and he, he's playing two characters very distinct from each other yeah. you, you you can tell the difference by when one or the other walks into the room uh but yeah the whole thing is about the impossibilities of uh, adapting this thing so he has to make stuff up mm-hmm. which is of course what is the big thing in the trailer ron livingstone's like 
and like make one up you know and so they turn susan orlean into this like you know like she's in love with the guy who's yeah. the orchid thief and they like doing cocaine together and all of them um and uh and but the the movie is just fascinating it is i mean this is almost required movie watching mm-hmm. i believe every year you got to pop in adaptation and just uh and just sort of this is how this is sort of the the weird world that they live in yes. this like ha- this creation there's all these rules but as as set up by brian cox yeah. that he has to ignore and uh <laughs> it, it's just a fun you you know if you went to tell this to somebody on the street they would be like the fuck are you talking about (laughs) and it on the surface again this isn't any movie that sounds like it's going to be something awesome yeah but it's great it It is is an absolute great movie yeah that's a good call no is it it's in the orchid there's like a drug in there right that that gets you like supremely high is that the uh the end product of that because i remember there's a scene at the end i think it is i think that's why he's collecting them right and uh, and he actually there's a point where he's like going through the whole evolution of the orchid and all yeah. this <laughs> trying to come up with a story yeah. of it <laughs> and everything um but uh, but yeah i think that's what it is because he ends up he ends up going he that's what he's chris cooper is doing yeah, in that yeah, yeah. movie is he's i think he's just ma- he's creating drugs out of right. it because i remember uh, meryl streep at the end is just like high as shit yeah 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 on the yeah. bed just kind of like on the phone like yeah yeah awesome movie yeah things turned on its head um i know that i wrote this could be in my favorites too but i wrote cabin in the woods oh, oh that's a good yeah one, one uh what's another one i wrote iron man just because it was such a stupid hero <laughs> like you mentioned that you didn't want to mention superheroes but this one in particular was a, a really stupid oh yeah superhero thing. oh yeah i mean yeah you again you boil iron man's plot down to a sentence or two it's gonna sound really fucking ridiculous <laughs> um Built, you know, Tony Stark built this in a cave yeah. from scrap parts. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. That yeah. shouldn't have happened. I don't yeah. think. No matter how smart he is. Yeah. Uh, so no, I agree with that one. And uh, Cabin in the Woods is another good one because it plays with all these horror conventions. But what what's really going on in that movie is utterly insane. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have to start with the premise that somewhere down underneath the crust of the earth is some kind of a god (laughs) that enjoys watching teens get murdered and have sex um in a and he's very particular super particular Mm -hmm. about the order in which things are done and which things the the human workers have control over and which things they don't um so yeah that's another good one um not to mention that I think the weirdest thing about that movie is that grid that Hemsworth flies into Mm because I don't know how you explain that shit yeah um but yeah, no, that's a, that, that's another one I would mention. Now I like how, and maybe there was more that I missed, but I liked how little marketing there was for Cabin in the Woods mm-hmm. to to tell people what it is, and that's why you probably had all those customers that came out or friends that were just like, "Well, I had people, Man, fuck that, that's not a good horror movie." I had people who worked in the theater who just <laughs> who just did not understand it. Yeah, uh, there's I don't know. There's this, just a segment of the population who they can't accept things for being jokes or mm-hmm. funny so it says cabin in the woods they're expecting a horror movie and they go in and they're what is this bullshit yeah. you know it's got some horror elements to it but it's all in good fun and uh so yeah you had people coming out going yeah that was a piece of shit or whatever and uh and it's it got even to a point uh, there was one we had a video a uh, 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 one of somebody was making for us one time and they put 
cabin in the woods and um a thing about cliches mm-hmm. and it was like yeah but the the movie is making fun of those cliches yeah, yeah. we can't really put that in as examples right unless you're just doing it like as a funny thing or whatever but um but yeah it's it, i don't know what it is man some people just don't have that that trigger or yeah. they don't they don't know what if it's serious or not mm-hmm and uh but yeah it's so obviously goofy absolutely i, I don't I just, it announces itself early which well, is what very I so beginning yeah the, yeah the the just the walk and talk dialogue yeah. and then the the just the sudden out of nowhere title that shows up on the screen <laughs> so um you know you can't take that you you know immediately i can't take this movie for for you know being serious the at all really i mean mm-hmm. there's some moments but you know come on get with the get with the now man um uh, one of my favorites that i definitely want to mention mm-hmm. is enemy of the state oh <laughs> yeah nice but everything about this movie is absolutely absurd mm-hmm. that this high-ranking uh government official guy commits a murder that it's randomly caught on jason lee's nature duck cam <laughs> mm-hmm. that he actually sees it because there's got to be fucking days or weeks of footage from the duck cam. And yeah. he actually managed to see the five minutes where somebody gets killed. <laughs> Happens to run into Will Smith and drop it. Everything about how this all starts is absurd. But the most absurd thing is the power and technology these government agents have at their fingertips. They can zoom from non-existent satellites <laughs> down to shoelaces. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the surveillance demonstrated in this movie is not even technically possible today. And this was like 95? Oh, Enemy of the State was like 2002, I think. Really? Yeah. I went too far back. I'll look it up real quick just so that we'll have it's some. It's still pretty impossible. I mean, yeah, and uh, but it's so watchable. It's oh, one of the most watchable movies. 1998, so we were in between. Oh, all right, well, we split the difference. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was some other movie that came out around, the, I think, 2002. That Eagle I, Eye? I always get confused. No, it's not Eagle Eye. <laughs> Although, you, I mean, you could sub those yeah. that one in, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't like Eagle Eye, but it's basically the same absurdity. Mm-hmm. But Will Smith is really fun and engaging. Um, there's a lot of really great actors in this before they were famous, like a lot. Uh, most of the techies... You're going to be like, oh, it's Jack Black. Oh, it's Seth Green. Oh, it's this guy. Oh, it's that guy. Uh, Oh, he's in Ocean's Eleven later. Um, And John Voight, just the perfect amount of over the top. Um, I just find it insanely watchable, Mm -hmm. even though I know it's really stupid. Would you put this under your best favorite, underseen or or underrated? I would put it as favorite. I can't really defend that movie as underrated. I think it's probably... (laughs) appropriately rated i mean it's got a 7.3 on imdb so might there be are overrated. Some, there are some yeah. people who i mean i guess the people have found this movie and uh, and agree with you i i haven't seen it since 1998 oh wow my wife loves it i've probably seen it 15 times i, really? will, I will always remember the trailer though where yep. where gene hackman's like i blew up the building <laughs> and he's like why'd you do that and he's like because you made a phone call yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I was like, okay, I'm watching that. Tony Scott, Gene Hackman, we're doing it. <laughs> Will Smith. Yeah, it's got a great cast. Um, it's just, it's, it's uh, schlocky. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? Pulpy. Well, this mm-hmm. is also, I think, uh, just as an aside, uh, where uh, paranoid Will Smith started coming from. Like, oh, yeah. real life paranoid Will Smith. Oh. <laughs> like, like, he started coming up with conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and crap. So, like, Enemy of the State was sort of like the jumper for a lot of that. Yeah, you probably. Know, that type of stuff, I believe. But. He probably still is, but it's impossible to to overstate how likable Will Smith was in, oh, in all no through the kidding. 90s. By the time this comes out, 
will have done the music video sense did summertime yeah yeah the yeah dj jazzy jeff oh. and, and i was going into that thinking there's got to be a zillion in here because it's just so silly but man he is so fucking likable yeah what a- and he makes fun of himself he's goofy he's laughing he's dancing the lyrics are not all that bad it's just kind of cliche i don't know what exactly happened to him you can see that the career trajectory after his awesome 90s run and he's got a lot of really good movies from the mm-hmm. 2000s too but uh you can see some sort of like calculation to his career trajectory and it starts to wear on his actual likability mm-hmm. because i didn't see that concussion movie i know that i know that you say that that's a really good one Jeremy. i enjoyed his i think he's really good in it i don't know that i would say the movie's great but yeah. uh, he's really good i mean mm-hmm. but it seems like a lot of his movies choices now are these really sincere or dark or you know it's i don't know exactly why that is the the thing that you know in after earth it's such a such a downer is his performance i know right i mean i know he's supposed to be this military father mm-hmm. and everything but man every line reading is like this <laughs> yeah. yeah they've evolved to kill you yeah <laughs> everything on this planet has evolved to kill you and like he's he's just like he looks like he's like within he's within a remark of of slapping a son every single time he says something um <laughs> <laughs> he kind of does yeah he kind of does but you know yeah all these movies man, I mean, like is seven it pounds and is it possible he's at least for a time was chasing some sort of respect as a serious actor because he did that run of like happiness and seven pounds and what even his most recent stuff like focus and like Collateral when was the beauty. last time he's done like a jovial now he's gonna do lion king or no mm-hmm. aladdin mm-hmm. um but you know fun action romp yeah it, is- it could be men in black three which is a terrible movie but, yeah uh, but it could be the last time he he tried that even well let's see i mean hancock even he hancock is is another one that i would probably put in that category mm-hmm. but like you know pursuit of happiness maybe the bridge of that one that where he's it's it's got both he's got comedy and mm-hmm. drama in there and then after that, yeah, seven pounds, man. God, <laughs> man, it's no. like so. Yeah, da- yeah, yeah. The subtitle of that movie is "We're gonna do everything we can to make you sad." And <laughs> and, uh, and I am Legend is uh, is another one that's you know it's supposed to be I guess this big huge blockbuster type movie, but that's even sort of dour. Yeah, and, man, and everything. So I don't know. I don't know where the the choice became for him to be like. We can't be joking around with all I this seriousness not. going on in he's, the world. But he's got such good range as a comedian. Everybody mm-hmm. knew him as like this, you know, clean as a whistle type of comic. But then, like I was watching that uh, uh, the scene in Bad, I don't think it was in Bad Boys 2 where the kid shows up to, to take his daughter out. Mm-hmm. And he comes up and like with his gun out and everything. Oh, yeah. And he is fucking filthy in that. Yeah. Man. It's and, generally uh, one of the best scenes of that movie that people always, yeah. always bring up. Uh, but even though it's so far out of line. Oh, yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. It is. <laughs> Listen, that movie is a stupid premise yeah. just All for right. that one scene. So, it, so yeah, we completely derailed into a will smith discussion I like there which is no i do too <laughs> well, in real life i do too but you know let's go on uh the favorite uh favorites of this genre so you can go obviously two ways in when you're adapting a board game some board games you can actually see as an adaptation that it makes sense battleship obviously did not do that mm-hmm. um that was a fucking ridiculous movie 
But uh, now it's become kind of a cult favorite, but Clue, which I've talked mm -hmm. about on the, the show before. But Clue is ridiculous. It's a little more cinematic, certainly, than Battleship or something like that. But it's still based on a board game, a murder mystery. And you would not have predicted that you could come up with this comedic romp with all these talented people from, you know, Professor Plum killing somebody with a lead pipe in the in the parlor or something mm -hmm. like that. But it kills it. Yeah. Awesome. For a second there, I thought you were going to say you were listing Battleship among your favorites. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I was, I was a little worried. I was thinking about Battleship because uh, I was sending a movie that had Rihanna in it. Because I would have been like, defend Battleship. <laughs> yes, please. I would like to hear how you try. In in 10 words, defend it. I got, a, I got one for favorite. Uh -huh. uh, Tron. Oh, oh, the original. Yeah. And by extension, Tron Legacy. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's the same thing, basically. Yeah. Uh, humans get sucked into a video game. That's stupid. That's really <laughs> fucking stupid. But mm. Tron uh, will always hold a special place in my heart. I've mm. never seen anything like that. And uh, I think it was pretty pioneering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though you watch it now and you're just like, you can, almost can't help but laugh at the effects. <laughs> yeah. At the time, because this movie came out in, what, 82? Yeah. Um, at the time, it was like mind-blowing, uh, especially if you were seven years well, old. Well, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, the... Who didn't like fantasize about being in that bike race thing? That's exactly. Awesome. Which, you, you know, of course, they made a game out of that, or the. Did they make a game out of that, or was the game. Did the game exist before? Oh, I remember I playing a game where it was you're. It Atari, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. You yeah. play a game where you're, you're, you know, you're building basically a wall. With the and, bike. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're trying to, you know, sort of ensnare the other rider into it and everything. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Tron is uh, Tron and Tron Tron Legacy is just a beautiful movie to watch. I love watching. Now it. I haven't seen it since it came out, and mm -hmm. it seems to have gotten a lot of like like a, a big cult following since it came out and everything. Uh, but I don't, I, I didn't like it the first time I watched it, so I may have to give it another chance. I think it has issues, but mm -hmm. and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast that the way that film creates mood with the visuals and the Daft Punk score. It's just I, I want to feel that feeling. Yeah. So I go back to this movie, you know, once a year, maybe just because mm. I'm like, I'm kind of craving Tron Legacy, right? Because there's <laughs> nothing else like Tron Legacy. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it just kind of creates a mood that I can't get from most other movies. Yeah. The story is not something that will knock your, you know, your draws off. Mm. Or yeah. Like oh, his son got sucked in now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> then there's a younger Jeff Bridges. That's right. Yeah. And Which somehow actually, Olivia Wilde makes it out of the game into the real world. Yes. Well, and and I think the <laughs> gotta be I think hot the, somewhere. I think the, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I uh, I thought the yeah. I think I brought this up before, but that scene where uh, he's talking to her and they're like looking out and to mm -hmm. whatever, and he's he says something about she doesn't understand anything about the real world, doesn't understand the concept of love or anything. Right. And he says something like, oh, it's totally beautiful. And then she has this look on her face like, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you're complimenting me, aren't you? And I'm like, no, you don't. You didn't understand that. He's just smiling. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I have two here. I know that you don't like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, so I will talk about that, but I know that the other one that I have in my favorites being John Malkovich is probably Ooh. something that you might want to talk um, about. Yeah, and when, well, we're kind of coming back to Charlie Kaufman here a little bit, aren't we? Yeah, uh, I've got a lot of like Kaufman, Spike Jones type stuff in here. Yeah, so. <laughs> and it, you know what's weird? Being John Malkovich is one of the best movies I get uncomfortable watching uh -huh. because of how dirty everything is. Everything is dirty. Yep. Everyone's dirty, schlubby, mm -hmm. ugly, dark, rainy. 
And it's hard to watch for that reason, yeah. even though I know what I'm seeing is brilliance and I can laugh at the right parts and, you know, enjoy it. But it's just it's it's hard to get me to put that Blu-ray in yeah. uh, just because I, don't, I feel like I need a shower when I'm done. I was watching this the other day. My wife came in. She was like, what is this? And I was trying to figure out how to explain it. Oh, yeah. And I distilled it down to, you know, there's a portal into John Malkovich's brain. And when she came in, it was the scene where Malkovich goes into his own brain. <laughs> and it's all these Malkoviches around. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all they're saying is Malkovich. Malkovich, yeah, yeah, yeah. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. There's like a little baby with Malkovich. This is this is one of the that is that scene right there is one of those. I don't know what is so brilliant about it. But I do believe that everybody in the theater is hoping that it will happen before they know <laughs> yeah. before they know what's going to be in the movie. They're hoping Malkovich some, finds a way into his own portal and yeah. they've made the scene. Yeah. And I think a lot of times a movie like that will come and go and, and it'll be like, oh, man, wouldn't it have been great if John Malkovich could have gone into his own portal? What would he have seen? Yeah. You know, and all that. Um, yeah, because even Cusack is just like. I don't know what's going to happen. He's yeah. like, Mr. Malkovich, you may not want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I always wonder and kind of just kind of daydream about how this all came up together. Mm -hmm. Like, because either he had the balls to write that script and then send it to John Malkovich <laughs> and land him. Yeah. Or they tried it with somebody else mm -hmm. well, and got I, rejected until they found Malkovich. Like, could the movie have been called Being Alec Baldwin? Well, I had, <laughs> I had read something about Tom Cruise was originally approached Interesting. on that. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I wonder if this movie is nearly as good if you don't have somebody as quirky as John Malkovich. Exactly. It, it works the same way with Christopher Walken. If you had Christopher Walken, you know, be mm -hmm. in that, which would be the perfect sequel, obviously. Yeah. Christopher <laughs> Um, Malkovich gets inside Walken's portal. Right, Walken, Walken, Walken. Any any time you know you have a, an actor with that kind of a quirk to it, that works perfectly. Being Tom Cruise, you start making fun of Tom Cruise. Right. It's like, well, we've all done that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that is a, a, a ridiculous, ridiculously absurd premise. Uh, the fact that they, you know, he goes into this office building that has a seven and a half floor or whatever the half floor yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and they, like they have that that training video that <laughs> gives that whole background of the, the it's a total bullshit background. Right. But like, yeah, all these people are are one, you know, are are preparing to go into this portal and live in John Malkovich for the yeah, rest of their yeah, lives. Yeah. That is insanity, and somehow they make a great movie. I it know. really is. Um, I mentioned Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is you know almost you know Tron esque because you're talking about basically going down into a video game, mm -hmm. even though they're not going into a video game. They're like sort of real life is a video game, right? But the premise is, in order to date Mary Elizabeth Winstead. He has to defeat all of her evil exes. Mm -hmm. And I love how he keeps saying evil ex-boyfriends and goes, she keeps going exes. Yeah. And <laughs> never, <laughs> like, explains why until finally, you know. Um, but uh, but that's absurd, too, because, yeah, he this is all... He has to defeat all the evil exes, and he's not even informed. Oh that, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, he, gets... well, he is, but he doesn't read the email. Right, right, and, right. Uh, and then... Um, and then he and when he's fighting these people like they 
like they have hit points and they turn into coins yep. when they're dead and <laughs> and uh it's it's insanity man oh, it's so and good. it's not by the way it's not that i don't like it i just can't take it like it's just too caffeinated for me it's manic and just gets my blood up I, and <laughs> i gotta keep myself out of those environments i can see the quality that's there but it's just like edgar wright took a little acid before making that yeah um it's hard for me to watch i you know i think i've said it before but it's just so shocking when they have that first battle because they're actually fighting Mm -hmm. like you expect like oh it's an evil ex and shoving around or that kind of thing but then they start fucking fighting yeah like he's throwing punches and doing roundhouse but it's almost like like these people don't have any superpowers until they start fighting yes exactly exactly and, and and then, like, Jason Schwartzman is the guy who's behind it all, and he's the one who's, like, organized this. It's like, how did... That would be a movie in its own own <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that would be interesting to, like, uh, have him find all these evil exes who just happen to live in the same area yeah. and, uh, and, like, come up with the rules of this. You're all going to try to defeat Scott, you know, yeah. <laughs> because he's trying to date the girl that I want. Um, what an insane... but glorious premise. oh man it does build i mean it's got kind of uh like a raidish raid 2 type of thing where you've got to advance and mm-hmm. video game type of thing but like that battle of the bands like it, it keeps taking it up a notch at each each successive x and when it gets to the battle of the bands it goes nuts and you're like oh what's gonna top this and then he has the thing with jason schwartzman which mm-hmm. is awesome that i don't know if i ever brought this this is another fucking aside gosh we're just gonna be derailed do the it entire baby time, it's all right but- one of my favorite parts of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is when Allison Pill looks out at the band that's playing before them and they're like, they've got a female drummer. And like, you know, it's this little girl, you know, <laughs> it's like six, seven years old or whatever and everything. And, and she's like upset. And so then, oh, 10 minutes later, they're playing on the on the stage and everything. And Allison Pill's like sitting there drumming and everything. And there's just this one little cutaway to the little girl on the side of the stage looking really angry. Yeah. At her. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. It's, uh, it's just a quintessential Edgar Wright gag. It there. is. Um, I got another one for favorites. Go for it. Uh, the Martian. Ooh. Uh-huh. They... They trick you by moving into the future and using a lot of science jargon. But this movie is impossible. Mm. I would go so far as to call its premise ludicrous. Really? Yes. Do you? How many times have you seen it? Mm, Two-ish or so. The number of things that have to go right is literally unbelievable. For him to get off? Yeah, for him to survive and Uh get off the planet. There's like... By a factor of 10, like a thousand different things that have to go right uh-huh. in real life, even in 2025 or whatever the fuck year this is. Um, <clears throat> that guy's dead. That well, guy's dead a couple different times. I, uh, I agree with you to a certain extent. Uh, I, I think that the the chances of him surviving as the movie shows shows it and as even the book describes yeah. it. Uh, is is probably literally impossible, but the whole I I do like how they sort of couch it by the end of it by hit, when he's teaching at the end yeah. and saying that you know did I did I believe I was going to die? Yes, I knew that was a really a real possibility. But his reason why he survived was that instead of panicking and like you know just saying I'm dead, he thought the problems out and he said you know you're. You use the knowledge that you've got to 
try to make this work. I feel like he should have died when the thing exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that was something that's very really going to happen probably when you're trying to make a whole like, you know, potato farm on Mars. What always drives me <laughs> crazy about this movie is they were there for like, what, 18 days mm-hmm. and this storm so bad came they had to get off the planet because it was going to kill them. Right. And somehow that storm does not damage the hab. Mm-hmm. And then Watney's able to spend couple years up there maybe more is that what it was with no other similarly sized storms mm. i don't know how, how how long was it two years for real yeah because when they when they decide to send the hermes they're that's like right. that'd be adding 532 days to oh their mission. yeah Man, that's right it was, um, it was it was several years the and, and there was never another storm that was 18 days into the mission there's a catastrophic storm but not another one the entirety <laughs> of the rest of his time on mars there was in the book Yes, that that was a that was a big plot point of the book. Uh, yeah. It's one of my favorite parts. You're talking about near the end where yeah, he has yeah. to, he doesn't know there's a storm. Yeah, uh, oh. until he starts he starts picking up subtle clues and has to he doesn't know which direction to drive to avoid the storm. So mm-hmm. he has to he drives over here and sets something down to get some readings. And drives over here and sets something down to get and figures out through smartness where the storm <laughs> is and what direction it's moving. Because at that point in the book, he's lost contact with. NASA and they're mm. watching him drive straight into the storm that's going to kill him. Um anyway, it's pretty pretty awesome yeah, part of the book. It is cool and 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 unfortunately uh with you know length considerations and everything they couldn't do that cuz that would have been an awesome scene. Yeah, and you guys know I love this movie. I'm yeah. not trying to rip on it by calling it stupid. I'm just saying it's it's it, if you boil it down to what actually happens and you just rattle off everything that happened that kept him alive, it would sound mm. really Well, and really let's stupid. not well, let's not forget also the fact that the people on earth would not have been able to cooperate as well as right. they do um you know china is just handing off rockets yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey we got one over here yeah yeah and they make a big deal about you know well they would have never known we could have helped but look now we're gonna do it <laughs> yeah, and we'll yeah. show how good we're many are. nations many <laughs> nations <laughs> cannot sell rocket yeah, yeah cannot sell rocket all right underseen underseen okay I have a lot for this, but I'm going to settle on Mars attacks. Okay. Because Ooh. I think anytime you talk to somebody about Tim Burton, this how often does a, this come up? This is such an unbelievably divisive within me movie. Really? Mars attacks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that it's, guy you were talking about that eats half his plate. Yeah. Like, I half love this movie and half hate it. I mean, <laughs> it's it's so stupid. Mm-hmm. There are so many moments in it that I pick out that I'm like, I like that. And then the visuals of it are good. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Well, it's so it, it's ridiculous. Tim Burton to this point had done Batman, Beetlejuice, you know, all these Edward Scissorhands, things mm-hmm. like that, uh, and really had gotten into his niche as, as being, yes, a fantastical director, but also it's kind of serious subject matter, mm-hmm. too, especially Ed Wood was before this. And then he releases this, which is pure pulp. Yeah. I this mean, was this is based on Topps trading cards. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the way that the Martians are, you know, you talk about Martians, the way that they're drawn, the way that they're acting, mm-hmm. the over-the-top performances, especially by Jack Nicholson, yeah. uh, is just ludicrous. He's and doing I, two roles. Yes, yes. Or maybe even three. Does he have three? Or is uh, it just two? I think it's just two. He's the president and he's the, the oil man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... The first time that I saw this, I didn't like it all mm-hmm. that much. I liked a lot of it, but I didn't like it all the way. This has gotten a lot better with age uh, for me because once you take it as what I think he intended you to see it as, which is just pure comedy, visual gags, like just a, a pulpy experience, I, I really enjoy watching it now. And I think it is 
underseen. Like I said, I don't think many people are bringing this up in conversations about Tim Burton's career. You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the yeah, like there's a couple of moments that I always remember about Mars Attacks, like the one where the the aliens chasing after the guy and shooting at him, and he's like, ah, 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 and the little translator things on him, and it's like, stop, we are your friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Zinner blasting and stuff, and like the the jack nicholson speech at the end where he's like earth and mars together and he's like he makes a point to show earth is way bigger than mars with his hands you know he's like earth his hand is like huge and mars like like really tiny (laughs) um and, and yeah, I mean, there's so many people in it. There's like Pam Greer, Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Ray J as a kid. Ray J is in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's um, who else? Oh, you have uh, Michael Brosnan. J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan. Natalie Portman. Yeah. Natalie Glenn Portman. Close. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of people in this. Annette Benning. Yeah, Annette Benning. Um, and uh, Lucas Haas, yeah, who yeah. also has a line at the end where he's like, "I think it'd be better if we lived in teepees." Yeah, <laughs> it's better if you think about it. You know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is a good one. This is a good one because it, it, it could also be maybe possible. I don't know. It's, it may be properly rated. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, and I think I looked earlier, but it's like right in the middle, which is probably like low right. sixes on the IMDb somewhere around there. And then like 50% ish on, on Rotten Tomatoes. And yeah, I think so. It's, it's going to divide critics. It's mm-hmm. going to divide you know, people like us that that just enjoy movies for what they are. But it, I think it, a lot depends on how you watch this, much like Tron Legacy, mm. where like how you go into it, not really expecting the emotional heft that you get from Edward Scissorhands or Ed Wood or something like that. Just kind of here mm. it is. Yeah. Um. All right. So I have on my underseen another of that Charlie Kaufman branch, even though he wasn't a part of this one. Be kind. Rewind. Oh, uh, this nice. Was uh, Michelle Gondry uh-huh. who did this? Who uh, would later do uh, the uh, Science of Sleep and mm-hmm. um, the Green Hornet and uh, the Green Hornet. <laughs> um. But uh, this is in that same sort of category and everything. Be kind. Rewind. I wouldn't consider it necessarily a great movie, but what a it's a it's a stupid premise that's a fun premise mm-hmm. these guys at a video store uh when they start they run out of they run out of like movies or what is the actual i think they have like a magnet or something like that that is accidentally wiped erased all the, the movies yeah, yeah, okay yeah. i always wondered I, I, I can't always remember why exactly they have but they end up shooting their own mm-hmm. swedish or swede versions yes that's what it was. i was trying to figure uh, of, out what it was. of these movies of like ghostbusters and stuff <laughs> like that and so they're they're they pass those on as the actual movies so they don't think that there's any way that this is going to last for very long. They just do it as a desperate attempt. And then they find out that the people actually like their versions of the movie. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they have, they run into other trouble. I guess copyright. I can't mm. even remember if it's copyright or what that just comes out of well, the- There's a whole thing, I think, about the store being threatened to shut down or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. 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 Stuff like that. I, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I do remember going- remember enjoying this movie oh, because yeah. it's just it's it's a really silly pre- premise jack black and most deaf yeah and they're they're perfect together yeah like you can see uh most deaf's nerd boner <laughs> yeah. in, this, in this movie yes you can which is kind of crazy because you know before this he had been doing tracks with kanye and like talib quilly and stuff mm-hmm. like that on a very serious trajectory 
and does this and I guess Hitchhiker's Guide for the Galaxy a few years earlier. Yeah. Um, and really shows he's a good comedic actor. Yeah. Now he lives in like South Africa. Yeah. I think he's back now, but he was there for a while. Oh, I'm, I missed him. Yeah. yeah, I know. He was he was a guy who was a welcome presence that you saw in a lot of movies in this 2005 to 2008 time, mm-hmm. plus Chappelle show. He was on that a bunch, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but, um, he was great at the race draft. Yeah, yeah that's that's <laughs> one of his best moments on that show. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Beacon Rewind, that's a fun movie. I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it as life-changing great or anything, but it, I don't think it got its proper due. Yeah, it it's underseen, out. definitely. Yeah. All right, uh, so you want to go on to, to we can, underrated? We can go to underrated, sure. All right. I've got Home Alone 2. Mm, I haven't seen this. Old have, have not seen this movie since it came out. Me neither. Seriously? Me neither. So this was like 93, I guess, when it came out. Mm, 92, 93? 92 sounds right. It's 92. A quick turnaround after the first yeah, one. Yeah, first one yeah. was in 1990. I think this was 92. Well, much like um, 22 Jump Street, it's the exact same movie. Right, right, right. Just, Only it's in New York. <laughs> exactly. This movie is endlessly watchable for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Every holiday season, I watch it. Um, it is ridiculous. Talk about now. You can make an argument that the first movie had a ridiculous premise. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that you know people go off and leave their kid. I'm sure it happens though. Uh, people leaving their kid on vacation again. Like within the yeah. next year? Yeah. Now that's fucked up, man. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. should probably be getting a visit from the child <laughs> services after well, that. Well, because in this one, he actually makes it to the airport. So they're like, fuck, we're good. Yeah. As long yeah. as we got it to the airport, <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then he ends up going to New York. They go to wherever, I think going to Florida. And he ends up having done the prep work of like a jewel thief. He has like his dad's recorder. Or he has his own recorder. He's got his dad's wallet. <laughs> so he's got everything he needs to do whatever the fuck he wants to in New York. He's like, you know, set up at the like the the Intercontinental Hotel. He's just fucking living life large. And does, everything. does the movie or did something else later that I read point out that it's hard to get lost in New York, considering that all the streets are basically like it's a box, a yeah. grid, yeah. you know, so it's hard to like, I mean, it. If you if you try to walk down Broadway in Manhattan, yeah, you can get you can get a little bit confused. But it's along the ley lines. But so yeah, yeah, along the ley lines <laughs> for sure, absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah, like that was something that was brought up. It's like you know, it's like the cross streets are all pretty easily yeah. like figured out. And Obviously, he is lost in New York though, sure, because apparently he knows his way around pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's going to FAO Schwartz. He's going to like all these landmarks. He runs into Donald Trump. He, he runs into Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, at what I think was was his building at the time, right? Um, but yeah, like the reason that this is really watchable for me is it. Macaulay Culkin sells it. I mean, the murderous rampage that he does at the end is even more murdery in the second movie than the first movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's even more funny too. Mm-hmm. And Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, man, like I can I can get on board with two of these things. Now, obviously, the third one, no, I think they even made a fourth one. With Scarlett Johansson was in one of them. Oh, really? Um, but uh, yeah, I'm on board until two. It's not as good as uh, as number one, but the second one has 27 percent ah, Rotten Tomatoes, and oh. I think it's definitely better than I that. I think uh, Jake Lloyd was in uh, the third one. Oh, really? One of those. It was one of those child actors. The third one was Alex Lintz, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Alex Lintz. I, don't I know. can't believe I remember don't that know name. What I'm mm. thinking of? Because I don't think Alex Lintz is like still like. In the scene. Yeah. Alex <laughs> D. Lens. pulled that out of my ass. It is Alex D. Lens, but I don't... Why did I think he was in... Why did I think Jake Lloyd Jake was Lloyd's in, in uh, Jingle All the Way. 
<laughs> he is indeed. <laughs> While you're talking about Christmas movie, I thought maybe that's where the wires got crossed. No, I want to. I want to say maybe possibly he's in. Maybe not. I thought he was in one of those Home Alones that were maybe on video or something. I don't know. Alex Lenz, folks. Um, I got one for underrated. I don't know what it's rated, but I'm sure it's not good. Reindeer mm. games. Ooh. Ooh. Going back to Christmas. Ooh, underrated. <laughs> huh? Anybody seen this movie? I oh, have. Yeah. I oh, saw yeah. it in the theater, and that's the last time I saw it. Okay, so this is a stupid premise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, if we ever send this movie, which we never will, uh, we would definitely have a big, fat, long, let's talk about the villain's plan thing. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. this movie gets so interested by the end in surprise reveals mm-hmm. that it breaks down all the goodwill it's built up ah. leading up to that. But I say if you go in watching knowing that it's going to get Scooby-Doo at the end with like all the reveals. <laughs> it can be a fun ride. Hmm. You have young Charlize. Uh-huh. You have Gary Sinise. Young Ben Affleck. Yep. Um, and basically, Ben Affleck has been pen-palling with Charlize Theron, who's basically the real mastermind. And they get her brother and his gang of thugs basically kidnap them, and they're going to force the Ben Affleck to help them rob a, an Indian casino somewhere in like, minnesota or something Mm. because he used to work there but uh none of that is actually true because it's all being masterminded by his former cellmate who's in love with charlie's (laughs) it's all revealed at the very end and it just it it does completely fall apart i'm not saying it's good it's fun to watch and i wouldn't be surprised if you told me rotten tomatoes has it at like a 19 And I bet it's it's one of those movies that is oft cited as one of Ben Affleck's worst. It is, but it's I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as some of his. But worst I haven't stuff. seen it in forever. Uh, I I do I do remember a scene with Charlie's in the pool though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to bring that up, but um, you know, married and yeah. I don't like hot women anymore. Right. Exactly. Uh, did you find it? Twenty five percent. Okay, so I think it's better than that. Uh, it's definitely it's a great movie for a Saturday afternoon. You're flipping channels. You just want to have something on to half watch. This movie was made for that. Nice. So anyway, uh, on my underrated, I have two movies. I think we've talked about both of these before. Uh, Dude, where's my car? Oh, I'm glad nice. somebody brought that up. Yeah. yeah. Um, Talk about a ridiculous fucking premise. This man. is one of the all time ridiculous premises. God bless. It's so good. They, they these guys have gone on such a bender in the previous night. They don't remember anything, including where their car is, which starts <laughs> with the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Dude, where's my car? They must say that about five or six times. Um. But yeah, this is the sort of the precursor to the hangover and all mm-hmm. that where there's this this you must have had this epic night, but they have somehow run into aliens <laughs> and you know because we are hot chicks. Um, but there's like a whole I mean there's a whole segment there where they're at a fucking fast food restaurant and he's talking into the little speaker and he's like he wants this and this and it's the person on the other end keeps going and then and the and then thing probably goes about five minutes or something it goes That's forever. Um, no and then, but. Ashton Kutcher and Sean William Scott. I mean, perfect. It's a perfect vehicle vehicle for them, and it's uh and yeah. Again, this isn't. I put this in underrated. It may be properly rated. <laughs> um, it's not. I mean, it's it's not it's more than what what it appears to be for though. sure. It's w- it's way more entertaining than it was ever given credit for. I think a lot of people like to use this as a punchline, as mm-hmm. you know. Uh, dude where's my car like they've never seen the movie it's it is as ridiculous as the title right you know they didn't go out go looking for a like 
you know, Beavis and Butthead type comedy here. They were going for, you know, it's just silly. Just yeah. deal with it and it's silly. By the uh, way, 18%. 18. Wow. There you go. <laughs> definitely we underrated. Some good underrated yeah. picks. Good call. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Any others that we want to bring up before we. I'd like to bring up Face Off. Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't know where we stand on Face Off. Oh, but it's terrible. I, I love it. It's a ridiculous premise. Ooh, it's is it as terrible, ridiculous. Though? I don't know if it's terrible. Oh, I think. It- it's pretty terrible. I just watched oh, it like last week. Oh, you guys are hurting me. I, I don't mean, think it's terrible. I did say I love it. Yeah. yeah oh, I love no, it no, too. No, 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 I don't think it's terrible though. Oh, I don't okay. I don't think you can reasonably say that movie is terrible is in a way that is like, you know, like most movies we call terrible. I yes, the premise is very out there. <laughs> um and Nicolas Cage has one of the most ridiculous, you know, you know things with the face off during in the middle yeah, yeah. of it i want to tear his face oh <laughs> you know is he that's one of the most ridiculous things ever but i i feel like this is a, at least a solid movie well so this is john woo right yep and it's it's got all the john woo slow motion action stuff with the doves flying gunplay. out and stuff mm-hmm. gunplay and the action is just way over the top. It is. And the acting is way say, over the top. nothing's more over the top than Travolta. But, and Travolta, Travolta out, out over the tops Nicolas Cage. But Travolta's acting possible. like Nicolas Cage, though. Right. That's the point. Right. Is Nick, Travolta, that is only a mirror that Travolta's holding up to Nicolas Cage at that point. <laughs> I suppose you're right, yes. <laughs> and, and that's why Nicolas Cage is muted, because John Travolta <laughs> is muted. Um, but... Uh, that is such a that is an interesting movie. Yes, it's not. It doesn't achieve the greatness that I think it could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's. I thought I thought it was. A yeah, solid I think movie. it's in its in its lane as about as preposterous. The movie itself is as preposterous as its premise. Mm-hmm. And I think they got such enjoyable leads, and they got a nice turn from Gina Gershon, and uh, and a few other um, Joan, Joan Allen. Allen. Whew, Joan Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, no, it's just it, it's really it's love watching this movie. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. It, it's just yeah. It's absolute insanity. I, I don't know. I I don't know if I fall on the side of it being terrible, but it, I do think it's uh, <laughs> it is an interesting movie. A lot of people are going to take a lot of different things from that. Some- yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, Nicolas Cage has a run there though in this era of stupid premise movies, and mm-hmm. mostly with Michael Bay stuff. Yeah. you you count Face Off, but you could throw The Rock out there. Mm-hmm. You could throw Con Air out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was almost like he was attracted to stupid premises. Well, The Rock <laughs> is the dumbest one of the. Du- I mean, I I enjoy it because. Yep. It, because Cage and Connery are really actually a pretty good team there. Uh, but uh, The Rock is insanely stupid because they ha- they they feel like they just they need Sean Connery for some reason, mm-hmm. even though there's a scene where they're like, we've got the blueprints of Alcatraz right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, so we so we really needed Sean Connery yeah, we need to break exactly. him out of jail. For He's his- got to do his fire trick. Yeah, absolutely. Which is funny because not only the only way that he got out was to time the 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 explosions or the the fire things you know going from inside to outside the galaxy quest things exactly now they're saying that he needs to do that exact same timing that he hasn't done in 60 years backwards yeah 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 and that's gonna be fine he's gonna nail it on the first to try. be fair it was 30 years at oh, the time 30 years ago. <laughs> of course i mean exactly though 30 years he's and and they're still working yeah and he's like doing the the his hand motions on the timing yeah, no, yeah. that's fucking backwards yeah. no it's not the same way 
<laughs> like I hope I, I hope they haven't changed it. Like, fuck, <laughs> fuck, yes they have. Why is it still going? It's fucking Alcatraz. It's closed. Yeah. Whoever um, wrote this episode should be killed. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Phil Hartman is doing tours. Uh, I don't have very many to to uh, mention uh, that we hadn't talked about, but one in the underseen category is Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which mm-hmm. I've brought up a couple times. Um, movie where it is a documentary going around following the actual killer before he is going to kill the people he's going to kill. Mm-hmm. And they come up with all the rules and all this other type of stuff. And the documentary guy is also going around with the final girl who's going to be in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, all that. The uh, it is a it is a very interesting and fun movie to see it from the perspective of the killer and like how he's plotting to do all this stuff. <laughs> And everything, instead of just having the killer show up out of nowhere and like <laughs> killing everybody one, one by one. Yeah, that sounds really so fun. It's a, it's a fun, fun movie. Okay, so that'll that'll do it for that yeah, topic. Yeah, right? go see these uh, movies. Yeah, absolutely. That you'll at least have some. You'll have fun with a mm-hmm. good ninety percent of the ones that we we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. All right. Next thing we're gonna go on to is uh, we're gonna be talking about dream logic in movies. Yeah. Welcome to my dreams they feel real while we're in them right it's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange you really shouldn't fall asleep in class life could be a dream life could be a dream open your eyes uh obviously what you have inception as your as your cornerstone of dream logic type movies one of the few that actually addresses the sort of the time difference between what you're experiencing in the dream world and then what you're what's actually going on in the real world mm-hmm. but there's a there's a lot of stuff about dreams and movies and everything i sort of uh preface this by saying i usually hate it when there's a dream in a movie oh yeah, yeah me too usually it's a crutch um but yeah it is a crutch they they tell actual story expositional details in aliens with a dream oh yeah yeah. Um, yep. it's, it's almost, i don't know why that decision was made but like they they tell her how long she's been on the shit like yep. all this stuff like is is actual true and then like you know then the alien pops out of her stomach right. and then she wakes up or whatever <laughs> so yeah for the most part i don't like dreams and movies because yeah it's a complete like just it's it's fantasy for the for the filmmakers to be like, wouldn't it be cool mm-hmm. if this happened but then you just ruin it by not actually having it happen mm-hmm. by the end of it anyway how do you want to steer this well i want to talk about inception for a little bit because the only knock that i have on inception is that the dream world is very clean like it's mm. crisp which is not how at least my typical dreams are now they do go into it and say i think this is the only way he could have done it they say you know why people are drawing attention to you why you're the centerpiece of the dream um, you know, how geography and topography can change based on on uh, what your perspective is. Um, but dreams are fuzzy and like weird shit happens. Mm. And this, by necessity in the story, doesn't have a whole lot of that. Like it's got a very linear storyline, mm-hmm. you know, on each of the levels of the dream. You know, wouldn't it have been easier to just like get that guy in a room with a gun and force him to not break up his dad's company or whatever they're trying to get him to do. Like how much mm-hmm. money do they spend on this dream infiltration? Right. If they couldn't, they have just hired like a 
street tough to like yeah. beat him up and say, you better do what we want or we're going to come back and kill you. But that's, this is so elaborate. In the middle of all of this, a dude buys a fucking airline yeah. <laughs> right? just so they can buy, like pay off the stewardesses. And mm. it just seems so overly complicated when the end goal is you want to make one guy do one thing. Mm-hmm. That being said, I fucking love this movie, but I've always had the problem that you seem to have that, that the dream world looks, until we get to the snowy level, uh, which is some kind of military compound. The dreams all look too real, too like too much like real life. And when I dream, I don't dream that way. Right. And so when I agree with you that I usually hate dreams in movies, it's it's because of that. Because they're either doing they're either doing one of two things. They're either showing you a, a very realistic situation, and then they're going to show you somebody sitting up in bed just mm-hmm. to juke you, or they go way too far like the cell or what have you, yeah. where the visuals are just like, I've never had dreams like that. <laughs> now, maybe exactly. I didn't do enough LSD, but mm-hmm. <laughs> my dreams are somewhere in the middle where it's usually weird, but super mundane, yeah. right? Like I'm walking down the block and it just keeps repeating itself. And let's not forget, and but discuss for the next 30 minutes, the Twilight Breaking Down Dawn Part 2 dream <laughs> where yeah. where the uh, an entire battle is waged and then they decide, nope, that didn't happen. Never yeah. forget. So let's talk about that for a while. No. <laughs> let's do. Let's do. Well, what I think is like one of the best representations is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless mm-hmm. Minds. That's the type of dream yes. that I have where- yes. You're turning somebody around, but you only see the back of their head, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And like things are disappearing into the darkness and weird shit comes up. And I think, again, Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry, like they can nail that type of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of, I mean, even in, uh, was it, uh, it's The Conjuring 2 has one where it's it's this whole like segment of the movie where uh, the uh, Vera Farmiga's character goes and walks down this hallway, goes into the room, oh, yeah. uh, and there's a painting of the the ghost that they're like looking for, and then there's like this long drawn out thing where we see the shadow go all the way to the portrait, and the port and the shadow is and the face are like merged as one, <laughs> and then suddenly it jumps out and everything, and then you find out oh none of that actually happened, and uh, it yeah so for the most part I don't I don't like it. Where is it? Besides Inception, a good use. Where do we have good uses? Where do we stand on Vanilla Sky? Oh, I love Vanilla I, Sky. I, 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 I really love like Vanilla it. Vanilla yeah. Sky. Now, a great deal of that is dream logic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conceit is that if you haven't seen it, is that Tom Cruise is injured in this car accident, which is a whole pretty hilarious scene um, that disfigures him. And at one point, he gets so blackout drunk that uh, he he alters his life. Uh, forever mm-hmm. uh and then it goes in two different ways of whether you think that he actually found a, a way to have the reconstructive surgery and went on to live this life and everything ended up you know murdering somebody uh, on accident um or the whole thing has been a dream mm-hmm. uh the way that i think it's been presented to me is that it definitely was a dream mm-hmm. right um but what i love about this movie is how when they do give you the ex- expositional you know uh, recap at the end um how perfectly it fits like it starts at that timeline at that that drunken club scene and you know he says i I just have to prolong my life until this is until this is possible to to fix me 
And then you start seeing the rest of his life break down. You see Kurt Russell gets more and more frustrated mm-hmm. about, no, I'm fucking real. I'm fucking real, yeah. man. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he keeps throwing around. He's like, I've got two degrees, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm smarter than you. And I'm going to use 5% of my intellect to disprove this. This was also a remake of Open Your Eyes, which I never saw that. I did. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Um, it, it tainted my experience of Vanilla Sky a little bit because I knew what beats were coming. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the weirdest fucking remakes ever because they cast Penelope Cruz in the exact same role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a it's a dirtier looking, kind of a little grittier, grimier, and you know Cameron Crowe's is really glossy and mm-hmm. slick. Um, I I enjoyed both of them, but uh, I only watched it because I knew Cameron Crowe was going to remake it, mm-hmm. and at that point Cameron Crowe had not done me wrong, uh, and I was gonna I, I gotta do all this research. I'm gonna watch the original Spanish language version. <laughs> Open your eyes. Yes, <laughs> the pleasure of Sofia. The pleasure of Sofia. Um, you know no. who does dreams good, mm-hmm. even though it's not a movie? The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always love Homer's dreams, like when he goes to Chocolate Land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or even when he has that ghost pepper hallucination yeah, dream yeah, and he's yeah, on yeah. the golf course and the dog says, follow, find your soulmate, Homer. And he's like, hey, dogs can't talk. And the dog goes, woof, woof. Damn straight. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the one where he's going through the whole, the the dream where he's going through all the land of meat yeah. and everything. And he, he takes a bite out of that living pig and the yeah. pig's like, like, he's like, ah, there you go, old chap. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> oh man, I'm glad I mentioned that. Um, there's a one movie that uh, not so obviously goes into dream, but is very dreamlike and everything. And of course, because it's David Lynch, sort of makes you sit there and you know wonder what the fuck happened in that movie. Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, everything. After Laura Herring is in that wreck is a dream. So like everything Naomi Watts is in is dream. And ah. then like afterwards when she wakes up, everything from that point forward is real. But it you know, David Lynch never, ever, ever tells you what's going on. No. He wants you to be like, you just, you know, interpret it for yourself. You're probably right. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually had Lost Highway on my list. Oh, yeah, it's another uh, good one. Which Fuck is that movie with a pencil. <laughs> oh, man. Meaning that it's bad or that I, it's hard to understand? That movie drove me crazy. Now, I I can enjoy Lynch here and there in doses, but that movie seems to me to be the quintessential weird for the sake of being weird. Like, what? I don't. I truly don't believe he had anything he was trying to say with that movie. He was just wanted to fuck with you. And that guy... Robert, what's his name? Robert Blake. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that guy with a pencil. Mm-hmm. He's just, by, by existing, he creeps me out. But then the way he's used in this movie, God, that's where I gave up on David Lynch was that movie. I was just like, God. It's such a, no, it's, there's so many different ways to interpret it. And if you stand back and look at it narratively, you can kind of get a picture of what, what he's trying to, to, to get through. Because at one point, Bill Pullman is just essentially gone. Like he's in prison. And the story transfers to his cellmate, and then, you know, it goes on from there, and then he turns back into being Bill Pullman again. Mm-hmm. And you don't know where, the, you know, the female protagonist is, I forget who, who was in... Uh, it's Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette, uh, where she comes and goes, and she's two different people and everything. Mm-hmm. Is There's a lot of weird, like, duality in this. Right. You know? It's Bill Pullman turning into Balthazar Getty, right. and, and uh, like, who, who sent us this weird videotape, and... Yeah, but it's I'm, cyclical because the beginning of the movie is essentially the end of the movie yeah, 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 because yeah. he gets 
he uh, puts on the intercom. He says, Dick, whatever his name is, dead. Right. Which he hears at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. You've got that terrific scene uh, in the, the party that they're at where Robert Blake is is like, I'm at your house right now. Yeah. And he calls him and he on the phone it goes, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> and he's just staring at him. The, it has one of the best line readings ever when he goes, I'm at your house. And Bill Pullman, with a little pause, sort of peers into him and he goes, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, he does call him. He's at his house and everything. And uh, uh, it's just, uh, I, <laughs> I love that movie. Um, it's, I will never be able to profess that I understand it. Uh, but I, I, I enjoy the vibe it gives us and the Robert Loja thing. Yeah, man. Oh my God. It's so funny. Fantastic. You get yourself a manual. <laughs> you learn the fucking rules. You know, um, it's just, it, yeah, I agree with Jeremy that he's probably just, he's probably is just fucking with people in this movie, <laughs> but man, it's, it's the type of movie that just always makes you just like wonder mm. and, and. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't have any easy explanations or anything like that. It's totally fine, though. I mean, how creepy would that be? Somebody sends you a videotape and it's of your house, mm. inside your house, yep. and everything like that. Now, I feel like that's way more interesting than probably anything else that's in the movie, yeah. really, ultimately. But it's, so, I mean, I don't know. I've always gotten into that. Anytime it's on, I watch it. Yeah. And so I don't know how much of this is dream like and how much of this is reality mm -hmm. because it's, or if it's just in a he's just in a loop or something yeah exactly yeah i mean he plays around with with dreams a lot of course in um, in twin peaks mm -hmm. um and it's it, he it puts those edges on it to where it's like you don't know what is reality I, I, he's he's expert at that and it's not for everybody but it is a, a compelling watch yeah yeah absolutely um a couple good moments Pixar's done with dreams that I enjoy mm -hmm. um, in the uh, in cars. Mm -hmm. It's almost it's daydreams, really, where he's like daydreaming about that glass mansion up in the Hollywood Hills. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. There's like a glitzy Hollywood party. And then later in the movie, he imagines the other driver winning because he can't <laughs> yeah, make yeah. it to the race. And right. He has the Hollywood. Man. And then I also love in uh, Toy Story, just that quick moment with Sid was, I want to ride the pony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think what's funny about dreams in real life is how how they can feel so like you, but also like other sides of you can come out mm -hmm. parts of your subconscious that, you know, just the idea of Sid wanting to ride a pony in that dream cracks me <laughs> up. I don't know what's going on, but I love that little bit. Well, and that, and all the, the stuff in inside out. I mean, yeah. um, you know, when it goes into the other people's oh, yeah. heads and you see a brief glimpse of like, you know, all the dads with their mustaches and all that stuff. And the, the moms watching their Brazilian porn or whatever it is. Well, inside <laughs> totally. <laughs> But uh, Inside Out actually has a whole thing about a dream in there, like uh -huh. where they're they're casting characters and yeah. like shooting something yeah. and all that. Um, so that, that I thought I found, thought that was really interesting too. Um, how what do you guys think about Total Recall? Mm -hmm. How much of that really is dream? In the is it you know it, it's it's always kind of been tough for me to kind of like pick that out or whatever i guess by the end of it he really did he really is in mars and mm -hmm. everything but there there is a sort of a break there where 
you don't know whether it's a dream or if he's just stuck in the simulation the right. whole time. Because they even bring that up. They're like, well, you've been stuck in the simulation this whole time. They're, I guess they're just trying to make make him not do the shit that he's going to yeah, do. Yeah, all the way up until that scene, I think you could argue either way. Uh, but that's the scene where the dude who claims he's in a dream starts sweating. Mm-hmm. And so Arnold just kills him. Yeah, I yeah. think at that point, the movie is saying, okay, we have decided... This is all real. But up until then, I think that's why the movie's fun, Mm because you really don't know. The way they shoot that opening scene at Recall, um, you really don't know if it's part of the implanted memory of his vacation Mm -hmm. or if it's real life or what. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. That's one of my favorite movies, man. Yeah, yeah. That's top 20 all time for me. Oh, yeah? Oh, that original Total Recall is awesome. (laughs) Awesome. God, it's just like the perfect combination of Verhoeven Mm -hmm. and action and a cool premise um anyway i just i love that that's my jam have you seen the remake i saw it once it was really disappointing was it really bad yeah it's just it it takes all the fun out of it good people in it too like you know colin farrell and kate beckinsale and brian cranston yeah um so but yeah they 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 took out a lot of what was fun about that first movie. yeah and it just it's uh it looks more sterile and grayscale it feels more real therefore mm. it's less fun yeah yeah i don't yeah, know that's why a they... bright movie the original is a bright movie it is it's colorful as hell mm-hmm. then we have um i guess an all-timer here one of these movies where the dream is reality but maybe it's not or whatever and that's wizard of oz yeah uh, um it, you know by the end of it it's like was that was that really a dream the entire time i guess it was yeah <laughs> but it's, how does that work though right like, how does that work narratively like she has the slippers right mm-hmm. and presumably she has all this knowledge and she's been gone it's like the contact thing where she's been gone for a certain amount of time yeah, right? yeah yeah where it's like it played 18 hours of static instead right of right minutes. right right um so yeah i don't I don't understand like how that would have worked was she by herself in kansas when that tornado comes well by? it's the thing the tornado comes and then it's like question mark profits <laughs> um <laughs> i mean i guess she gets thrown against a building or something and yeah. goes unconscious and then they find her and they put her in bed and she uh-huh. dreams the whole thing or whatever uh, oddly specific dream, I would say. Yeah. I mean, you have everybody that you know is somehow in the mo- <laughs> is in the in the dream world and everything. I don't I I don't know if I'm different from everybody else, but usually when I dream about any specific person, I don't usually have like other people. I mean, there's like maybe a couple other people, but there's always a main character mm-hmm. or whatever. It's not like you know a whole bunch of other people in there. I usually have a, a pretty big cast in oh, my yeah? dreams, I think. I don't know. My dreams, people are always changing. Oh, yeah. It's always, it always, I always know the people in my dream, and then I'll wake up and I'm like, who the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't know anybody named Matt. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But in, yeah, yeah. in my dream, it feels perfectly normal. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Most of the time I wake up, I'm like, I will not discuss this with this human being ever again. <laughs> ever. I will never. Because of the things that you've done. Because of the person. things that I did to that person. Or, <laughs> yeah, just, just, no, or just, ha- or just, just weird things that I did. It was, you know, it's not anything bad. It's just that it's, you know, it's weird stuff. And I sucked like, on your elbow last night in yeah, my dream. Yeah, exactly. I don't find elbows attractive, but man, in that dream. <laughs> I don't uh, know how far you want to go on this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I guess we should talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, today. yeah, yeah. Uh, do any of us like any of those? Nope. Uh, I don't. I mean, the one that, I mean, I haven't seen them all. I've seen the one that everybody thinks is great, and that's the first one. Mm-hmm. And I never was quite, and I, it's probably because 
I wasn't allowed to watch those type of movies when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends were. So, like, as a kid, I imagine those movies are horribly terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I watched it late. It's kind of like Lost Boys for me. You know, like, Lost Boys is a movie that everybody of my generation, like, when they were 11 and 12, and the movies rated R, um, saw it and, and loved it for whatever reason. I saw Lost Boys when I was in my 30s. That mm-hmm. was the first time I ever saw it. And I was like, this is a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> seen it twice and it's a piece of shit. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is one of those. I, I, I get it. You know, if you're in that, that 80s mindset, be, mm-hmm. being really young and everything and watching something like that, all those wise cracks and everything might really seem to be awesome to you. But, the the actual scary scenes are probably legitimately scary and yeah. everything but yeah I, I came too late to it i mean it's it, there's so much potential in that it's a great concept you've got this evil villain that is you know attacking kids through their dreams mm-hmm. and you can mess with all the realities i think maybe if the idea and the franchise had started later when you could get a little bit better effects maybe a little bit you know bigger budget for this mm-hmm. type of concept i think it really would have taken off now nightmare on elm street fans will probably like kill me for even saying that because oh no dream warriors the third one was fantastic you know it had the great song from Dokken in it yeah, you know, yeah all that yeah, bullshit yeah. but i i'm like you man i just never Dockin'. could get into it you know it's funny we had a question a, a long like a, i don't know how long ago it was uh about combining two movies together and i brought up inception and nightmare on elm street yeah <laughs> Um, and then I watched a Rick and Morty where they actually did that. Oh yeah. Yeah. They actually <laughs> yeah. combined inception and nightmare and Elm street. And I was like, Oh, people probably thought I got that idea from that. <laughs> I didn't, I was just surprised to see it and mm-hmm. everything, but they, they keep going in all these different levels and he, Freddie keeps showing up mm-hmm. and all of them and everything. It's really cool. You ever seen waking life? Yeah, I've seen it one waking, time. Waking life is a, is Again, depends on how you like how much you want to go into. You have the- to have a super tolerance for very verbose uh, dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically it's uh, it's Wiley Wiggins from uh, Days and Confused, uh, who who keeps interacting with uh, either people he knows or yep. whatever. But this is all in his dream. This is all dream stuff. But they're all like these like hyper intelligent conversations the entire time Mm -hmm. so he talks with one person and then and then like he's like he'll say something like i gotta go and do this or whatever but then the next scene he's not he's not doing that he's He's, he's just on an onward trajectory basically and running into these people that give him keys to the secret that he ultimately needs to unlock the meaning of his existence yeah and then it becomes about you know how is he ever going to get up and mm-hmm. all that type of stuff? How is he ever going to wake up? I think it's mm-hmm. one part of it. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's interesting. If, if, if you really just want to hear some like highly deep philosophical, you know, discussions about a lot of a wide range of topics and everything while this just very surreal animation is going mm-hmm. on around it's rotoscoped. Yep. Um, so it, it really gives that it gives that sense of you know weird I guess sur- it's surrealism. Yeah. Um. I li- I love that he did that actually. I think I think it, the movie has a great look to it. Yeah. 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 Um. But it really depends on your tolerance for all that mm. because it's not a it's not really a plot movie or anything like that. It's just it's it's like it's like my dinner with Andre. I was just gonna with, say that. Yeah. Yeah. But only with uh you know animated dream sequences and everything yeah. even my dinner with andre can appear to be dreamlike you know in a way yeah. 
just the way the conversation's rolling and everything, you just kind of get lost mm-hmm. in it a little bit. Yeah, hearing smart people talk is good. Did you like this movie? Uh-uh. Oh, really? Uh, it's. I think I listed it on a podcast a couple months ago that it was it was one of those visually distracting movies that the oh, animation yeah. style like, put me off to where I found it hard to f- pay attention. Yeah. It's like it's like. To me, it's the same thing as Tom Hanks in Polar Express. <laughs> yeah. I can tell that's Keanu. Yeah. I don't, you know, why are you drawing over him? Is he in that one? <laughs> yeah, he's in uh, Scanner, Scanner, Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. Same thing. Same director. But they do yeah. have uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy as their before yeah. sunset characters in this. But that what's I, I thought was weird about that when I was sitting there watching that, it didn't feel like canon for right. them. Right. It was just like a... Yeah, it was like, like an interlude, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that that was an interesting thing. There, there are there aren't too many famous people in it, but there are a couple where you're like, because even Richard Linklater shows up. Mm-hmm. In a, uh, but um, but there are a couple where you're like, who is that? And you you swear at somebody you like yeah. big, and it's no, it's not. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting movie. I I've never really come to a conclusion as to whether I really liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Though. Because it is it is a movie I had to watch in like three or four different pieces. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, couldn't watch it all the way through. Anyway, what what is there anything else? Oh, Frasier. I just have to mention Frasier <laughs> handled dreams really well. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a show about two psychiatrists, so you'd expect them to dabble. The two that I wanted to mention, one is where Frasier has a dream of being in bed, and the person that comes out of the bathroom is Gil from the radio station, who's the food critic, and who everyone knows is gay, but he still continues to talk about his wife that they've never met. And so Frazier spends the whole episode, he keeps having the dream, and he's trying desperately to find an explanation for the dream that mean, that doesn't mean he's gay. <laughs> and so, like, he's like, Gil Chesterton, let's see. Well, Dad's, you know, our mom's name was uh, Hester. Uh-huh. He's like, Dad, did you ever call Mom Hesty? Did you ever come up with a nickname called Hesty? Because in the dream, he's got a tattoo that says Hesty. Anyway, um, it's just very funny. And then there's another episode in a cabin where everybody has a dream, and it's all, it's very surreal, and it's all playing off their fears. Mm-hmm. So, like, Daphne has a dream that Niles keeps bringing in skimply, scantily clad, hot cable women and plumbers <laughs> and fix-it people and going, oh, the cable's out. We're going upstairs to fix it. <laughs> and Niles has a dream where he keeps killing the baby because they're about to have a baby. So he like he bakes the baby in a pot pie, I think, Jesus. at one point. And he has to save it from a, like a Batman TV show saw. <laughs> um, and and like uh, the dad, uh, God, what's his name? John, John Mahoney. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the character's name. Martin um, does this like the whole song and dance number with a cane and a hat. And <laughs> what's funny is that you don't the movie, the movie, the show doesn't really tell you you're in a dream mm-hmm. right at first. And so you, you don't you're not really knowing which scenes are real and which scenes are about to turn into some really surreal dream. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I fucking love that show. <laughs> no, that's a good point because they they would kind of examine that as one of my favorite part of th- their characters. Yeah, yeah. And they they there's a bunch of episodes where they talk about dreams. But one of the things I wanted to mention, I forgot to mention about Inception is I love that line where he says, um, how, you know, do you, you never really remember how a dream begins, do mm-hmm. you? Um, and she's like, we're in a dream right now. And I just thought that was so true, right? Like that's, Everybody can connect to that statement as soon as he says that because that's the way it works for. Uh, I assume that's the way it works for me. Yeah. I never, I never like fall asleep and I'm like, and then Jeremy opened the door and there's a title <laughs> screen and he starts. It's yeah. always right in the middle of something is mm-hmm. where I 
my memories from that dream go. Anyway. Mm-hmm. That screenplay is amazing. Was that uh, his Jonathan Nolan? That I think wrote Jonathan it? writes most of his. Or they, I think they collaborate. God damn, that's a smart ass screenplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that smart ass Jonathan Nolan because he's behind Westworld, which even though I gave up on it, everybody seems to think is God's manna from heaven in TV mm-hmm. form. Brilliance. TV manna. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna have a. I think the second season though is a is a hinge season for it already because that last episode everybody was already kind of going where do you go from here? Yeah, and um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see if they can take it off because that first season and we we talked about this before, um, they didn't even know where it was going when right. they first started it and they had to they started shooting it and had to stop. Yep. And then there's a lot of stuff that don't doesn't make sense yeah. in it that they they just forgot about, like when they made the other episodes. And there was it was funny. I watched Westworld very passively, and that's what made me think that I may not join or may not last long in season two because I I was not paying much attention to a lot of the details. People got really obsessed with that show, obviously. Um, but by the end of it, where they were making all these reveals and everything, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even think that was a big reveal. I mean, it, it wasn't like a huge reveal to me, but then like I wrote, read an article afterwards where they made fun of how stupid the reveal was by the end of it oh. because they were like, what, what, here, let's go through all the clues that you may have missed with this reveal. And there's like, did you, did you miss the part where blah, blah, blah? Like, there's like all these obvious details all the way through. So, like, everybody was making a big deal about the big reveal, like how, how unreveal it was, <laughs> you know, because it was something that everybody sort of guessed, you know. Oh, great. Even though I didn't, because I was just kind of, eh, I'm watching the show. <laughs> I didn't think there was anything big going on. I did think there was some, I was confused a little bit. I was mm. like, I don't understand why this, oh, okay. So they're on, oh, okay. I see why now. Mm. That was basically how I watched that show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch it with any any deep type of, uh, you know, meaning to my life. Okay. So, uh, so uh, we're going to do some questions. All right. This is fantastic. Question. Question. I got something to say. I'm listening. Okay, so this person is an emailer, I believe. Feel free mm. to email us or tweet us or SoundCloud us or Reddit us, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I live in Australia, and as such, we have- Good a- eye! Yeah, yeah oh, right? Way to, way to be racist. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's not racist if we're the same color. Oh, that's true. <laughs> if I like their race. I forgot race. about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, live in Australia, and as such, we have a pretty good exposure to film and television from the United Kingdom, Ireland, New Zealand, as well as local production. I'd love to know how much uh, makes it over to the U.S., and what are some of your favorites from the rest of the English-speaking world? Now, we've had this question before about like foreign movies that are mm-hmm. not U.S. based, but we, I don't, we've never really had anything that was English speaking uh, foreign movies. No. Um, now, he cites what, he, what are the three movies he cited in there? The um... uh, He said, uh, if you're looking for some great Aussie films that we all love, you should check out Kenny, The Dish, and everyone's nostalgic favorite, The Castle. Okay, so I don't remember those movies coming into theaters. That doesn't mean they didn't. Mm-hmm. He asks, uh, I guess, is it a he? I think so. Um, Let's just assume for the sake of... Yeah. When these movies do make it over here, we don't usually know when... We live in Nashville, so it's a little bit different than Mm. where it would be in New York. Um, So if you're in New York, 
almost everything has some sort of theatrical release mm-hmm. and you can find it easily if you want to i mean you gotta go through a whole list of like millions of theaters to yeah. find stuff but um and you know a lot of these movies why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you want to see <laughs> exactly um so uh those ones that you just mentioned i vaguely remember hearing about them but i never saw them yeah and uh and and I, now i'm gonna have to go watch them yeah. because they all they all look pretty good i looked them up on the imdb today um so for the most part i'd say they come over here but not necessarily at, in theaters mm-hmm. uh they're because most everything here is multiplex type of stuff yeah usually. would you count something like district nine or was that made fully in the see system? here's the thing i was i was having a little debate about this myself because lord of the rings technically is new zealand yeah. but it, I, it it's made with american dollars yeah. i believe and and so when it's when it's an american movie shot in another place yeah that's just being on location it's not really coming right. from that country um so i i consider district nine that same way although i don't know the whole story about district nine maybe it was shot there and it was financed by south africa and then they they may it have- wouldn't surprise me considering how much that region of the world and its suffering seems to be on his mind as a filmmaker mm-hmm. um and he seems pretty connected to it i just i didn't know i thought i would throw that out and see if anybody knew but mm-hmm. one of the ones that gave me a little bit of a challenge because uh, as far as new zealand is concerned i was going to bring up uh, uh what we do in the shadows oh yeah which is 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 based it's always filmed there it's got new zealanders in it uh-huh. and all that but it also on on the country credits the imdb shows united states which makes me wonder if a u.s company financed it and they all just went to new zealand to shoot this movie and mm. you know is it really considered a new zealand movie what about whale rider yeah that's oh, that's a new go. zealand movie i think it was right yeah it's new zealand i like that movie a lot yeah my wife and i both enjoy it keisha um, castle hughes who got yeah. nominated when she was like eight yeah for that oh, movie yeah. uh and uh later on is on game of thrones oh who's she on that she's the uh sister of the dude in the, the sand snake thing guy, guy i believe holy shit i believe that's her i believe that's her it's either her or she's one of the three vipers vipers wow i had no idea <laughs> i i can't remember which one she is right now because those characters are awful usually <laughs> um oberon was really the only person i ever cared about i from believe i yeah he was awesome yeah i believe he she was the she's the sister though interesting yeah i think so i'm gonna have to look that up could be wrong could be she could be one of the vipers though the reason why it's always confusing is because she's way older obviously and and like at the end of every game of thrones that she's in it'll say keisha castle hughes as and you're like oh wait a minute who was she again (laughs) and and then so i always you know sort of you know guess as to who who she was but yeah so she's one of the vipers ah okay yeah yeah confirmed confirmed i'll tell you what it's not new zealand uh but one country that's outside of the u.s that's been killing it lately is ireland Mm -hmm. um they've produced some of my like favorite movies that i've seen recently like sing street Street, um the lobster i thought was awesome Mm -hmm. uh finally saw uh, chris's recommendation of frank yeah yeah yeah. um which does take place in america but it was it's an irish based film Mm -hmm. um and uh they're just they're just awesome. In Bruges is another one that yeah. uh, is Irish based, mm-hmm. and the stuff that's coming out of there is very different. Mm-hmm. It's very dry. It's humorous without being over the top. Um, yeah. and it's it's really connecting with me recently. So, 
Uh, that's probably my favorite um, kind of subgenre that's coming out. Irish Irish movies. Like Aye, that. Irish, laddie. Irish, yes. Um, Aye. There are, I mean, there's, a, in a, you know, like from Australia, there's um, Animal Kingdom, which has mm-hmm. now got a successful TV show with yep. it as well, but movie's really good, too. Talked about Dead Calm in an earlier one, and that's one that I'm pretty sure is all Australia, yeah, even though even though Billy Zane is in it. Um, <laughs> he's one eighth Australian. Yeah, he's one eighth Australian. You're right. <laughs> um, but uh, but mention those, and then um, and then and from England, of course, there's a ton. We get more from like Great Britain than mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. than any of them, obviously. Uh, but you the know, mother lo- country. That's right. That's right. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Yep. I mean, there's like a huge, wide range of British films. Most of the British films, if you were to say British film to somebody out on the you know street or whatever, um, they would immediately think of stuff like Remains of the Day and Howard's End and the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain <laughs> and stuff like that, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah, always yeah. those small towny- Waking Ned Divine. Right, Waking Ned Divine. <laughs> I didn't really enjoy this movie as much as the world did, but wasn't Muriel's Wedding? Yeah, um, that's Australian. Australian. Oh, yeah. 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 And that put that gave Tony Collette to the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I heard that was good. I never saw it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... It- I would I lump it in the same thing with Four Weddings and a Funeral and Mamma Mia as these... Mm-hmm. I don't know, romancy movie drama Ds. Right, right. Ladies love, and I, you know, could take or leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen them all once. Yay. I like uh, New Zealanders' humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, you get Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Concords, yeah. And you mentioned What We Do in the Shadows has Jermaine Clement in mm-hmm. it. God damn, that Flight of the Concords hits me every time I it's watch so it. It's so perfect. And why is it? Why is it so perfect? You know, I was watching the Rhinoceros versus Hip Hopopotamus mm-hmm. uh, segment that was in their first episode. I think it was their first episode. And I, I, I asked myself that same question because Jermaine Clement it just grabs your eye just from the way he looks, his voice, you know, just kind of his size. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you just focus on him. Yeah. And, and, he's, and he's brilliant and his deadpan and all that stuff. But Brett McKenzie is fantastic in his own right and mm-hmm. really can hold up, uh, you know, I think if you had a lesser comedian next to him, I, I don't think it would have worked that well. Mm-hmm. I, so I really think having them together – uh, was was really the key to success there. There's a whole episode where uh, I think Brett uh, starts dating this woman, and then and then Jermaine uh, like starts hanging around them a lot, mm-hmm. and and so then there's a point where Brett has to sit him down and say, you know, I think it's weird that you like uh, sit, you're always around us and everything and all that. And he goes, well, why, why do you think it's weird? And he's like, we're friends and everything. And he's like, I think it's more weird because you used to date this girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, like it's in the middle of the episode that you find this out. You know, <laughs> you know it, that it, they, they they do absurdity really well. Yes. And, the, and the songs are always, I don't know why they're so perfect, but too many dicks on the dance floor. Um, <laughs> the most beautiful girl in the room. Yeah. It's business. <laughs> it's business. <laughs> business time talk about like a dream <laughs> sequence because like he's imagining himself with this girl yeah yeah and he's already skipped the romance and he's getting into they're already married yeah, and, like yeah, she's folding yeah, laundry yeah, yeah. Yeah. she's already taking out the recycling yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those sitcoms on hbo that i don't know just never had a chance to take off it had two seasons mm-hmm. uh but it, 
I could watch those anytime. Yeah. They're just they're well, perfect. and it's Tenacious D had a similar run. Yeah, they, didn't they get did two seasons, yeah. but it was a little ahead of its time. It was quirky and odd, and I could watch those episodes any day. Mm-hmm. I think Tenacious D only had like six episodes. I think you're right. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Just, I don't yeah. even think they actually originally aired all the ones they shot mm-hmm. until right. after the music took off. Right. And then I think HBO was like, yeah, let's throw those episodes up there on HBO. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, but I don't know that there's something about those those kind of quirky comedies that never work on HBO. I mean, they built their empire a little bit on those quirky. Yeah, the Mister Show type of thing. Oh, yeah. Mister Show. Even I mean, this show had a few seasons. It was it was definitely a hit, and that's mm-hmm. where Tenacious D actually ended up coming from, as far as a spinoff, I guess, if you want to consider it that. Well, prior to Sopranos, I think they were more known for making comedies. But right? yeah, they made you know they their their shows before Sopranos were like Arliss. Yeah and uh larry sanders larry sanders mm-hmm. and uh what was the one with a uh, dream on was one of their first early hits yep. the brian oh. ben ben oh show. yeah, yeah. It was like in the late 80s inside the mind of a married man too oh yeah 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 you remember that one i don't remember that one no yeah it's yeah that was yeah i mean it, alec mcbeal yeah alec mcbeal <laughs> uh csi new york <laughs> i would have liked to see an hbo version of ally mcbeal i bet that would have been interesting um but uh but yeah like a lot of those i mean until they did sopranos it, you know all the stuff that they, they have to be prestige about everything yep. now so you don't these these comedies don't have much of a chance a lot of times yeah um but anyway uh we we I mean we we're not gonna get to all the ones obviously we've ever seen or are think are great mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't even know whether they're Australian or English or New Zealand or anything like that. You all sound the same to me. That might that might be I don't that might be an issue for us because we're seeing we see so many movies and everything. Mm. I don't know how it is in other countries. They know immediately that's an American, that's an English, that's a whatever but a lot of times you just don't know you just assume when everybody's in australia and speaking with the accent that's an australian movie yeah Yeah. like kangaroo jack yeah 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 (laughs) kangaroo jack for sure (laughs) absolutely you guys laugh but yeah you're probably right to laugh. (laughs) all right uh this person doesn't know if this was asked before and it wasn't that's why we're asking it right now Mm. what are some nice movies that totally change feel or genre midway through i don't know if it's a nice movie but the crying game uh has Ah. uh i mean i guess it's i mean it's nice i mean it's it's got a it's got i mean good movie yeah 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 um but uh i mean and there's that's a movie that's from ireland right there oh yeah, yeah um but uh, the crying game starts off completely different from what the movie's going to be. It's like this big, like IRA terrorist drama movie in the first like twenty minutes of it, and then Stephen Ray is told by Forrest Whitaker, "You got to find my girl," and you know, and tell her all this stuff and everything, and he goes and finds her and all that. Of course, then there's the big reveal and the crying game, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a, but there's a, it's sort of a love story for a while, and then the big reveal happens, and then there's like sort of a like. How is Stephen Ray going to deal with this? You know, um, does that happen at the very end, or does that happen halfway through? Uh, it happens halfway through because there's uh, there's a lot of yeah there's there's still the IRA stuff has to come to roost by the end of it. Uh-huh. So I believe uh, is Miranda Richardson in that movie. I think Miranda Richardson's in that movie. She's oh. like the big uh, she's like the villain essentially in that movie. Uh-huh. But for you know. The middle is cut up into two parts because it's sort of a romance between him and Jay Davidson, mm-hmm. and then and then Jay the, the you know the reveal happens and then there's that sort of stuff. But then there's like more with the IRA stuff ah. by the end of it. 
I haven't seen it in forever, mm-hmm. so if I'm butchering the plot, sorry, fa- sorry, folks. This has been, <laughs> sorry, crying game fans. Yeah, but I, I haven't seen it in forever. But it starts off like it's it's like this incredible like you know intrigue drama type of thing. Then it's mm-hmm. like a romantic drama comedy type of thing, and then and then yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting movie. Yeah, I got to see it. I'm going to make an argument here that probably is not worth making. Right. And say I think the two the two towers shifts gears pretty dramatically mm. uh, for that last third because the whole movie up until then is going to talk to this king and getting the worm tongue out of there and, and yeah the ants and yeah, the, yeah. everybody's just kind of talking and it's a lot more like fellowship I think I've said this before fellowship is not enough action Return of the King is too much action Two Towers has a little bit of both right mm. but it 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 really is that can be drawn right on a line there once they get to Helm's Deep. It kind of turns into a war movie at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and none of the previous stuff was that. So you know, that's the way the book is. So I guess you kind of have to. It is a lot route. of people sitting there going, should we go to war? I don't know if we should go to war yeah. or not. I think we should go to war. Right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I also thought of Pineapple Express, another one that. Oh, yeah. It's I, another. I think that one shifts you. a lot of gears. Well, yeah, yeah, that one changes a lot just all through it. Yep. You know. It's like straight comedy at points. It's a, a straight action at points, and then it's kind of an action comedy at times. And uh, it's, it's a very unique movie. It's like a romantic movie. comedy when it starts off because it he's, is. he's like you got this girlfriend in high school. He's mm. they're setting him up uh, like going on all his different uh, serving trips and things like that. I he love- just goes and gets weed, and then all of a sudden shit goes crazy. Yeah, I love after she's gotten mad at him and she's like, "Just tell me when I can go home." He's like begs her to take him back. <laughs> She says something about marriage, and he goes, "Oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> if you want to be with me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm terribly immature. That that means you're immature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that a little bit, but the beach, yeah, Danny yeah. Boyle's The Beach, um, really is a tale of two movies. Now this is. Leonardo DiCaprio coming off of I think it's the one that he did after Titanic. Well, right? it was a few years after. Yeah, I mean it, it's it. I'm trying to think if he did anything big because the, the Beach came out in 2000, right? And Titanic was 97. But in between that time, DiCaprio had done not really high profile, but The Man in the Iron Mask. And oh um, yeah, 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 I believe was Marvin's Room. No, it wasn't Marvin's Room was before that. Man uh, in the Iron Mask. Yeah, oh my yeah. god. I hated, <laughs> a thing hated that movie. Holy shit. That's but, like the Space Cowboys of the three Musketeers, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. They're all like <laughs> geriatric. Oh, it kind of is. Yeah, uh, but he's definitely most known as Titanic Boy. At yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has yet to really scruff up his image. And maybe this is one of the reasons that he did the movie. Because he is like, you know, doing a bunch of drugs and having a bunch of sex and like, you know, lazing his way through, you know, the southeast uh, in Asia. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it starts off with getting to the beach and setting up this utopian society and everything and how everybody interacts and then the drama that that can can uh, can kind of let bloom. And then it turns into a fucking like tense thriller in the last part. Yeah. And the first part is so much more enjoyable yeah, than really the is. second part. It really is. You don't need all that bullshit. But uh, yeah, there it is. So that ultimately keeps it from being what I think is a really, really good movie. And it's just kind of like a watchable movie. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Um, one other one I want to mention was the movie Audition. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Audition. That's in the here. very uncomfortable movie. It's very right? uncomfortable. Uh, Takashi Miike mm-hmm. is the guy who, uh, who directed this. It's a horror movie. Uh, but the way it starts off is it's this guy, he's looking for a, a, like a wife mm-hmm. and th- he finds the perfect woman 
and he falls in love with her and everything and then she disappears and then he goes and tries to find her but she's laying the trap for him and uh and but the whole like for i mean it actually goes through all the courtship and oh, really? all that like you know just kind of like like oh this is a nice movie really you're just kind of like uh-huh. you know oh, he's falling in love isn't that great she seems to genuinely like him and everything and then that then then it just kind of just breaks yeah. at that point and it's got one of the it's got maybe one of the scariest images i've ever seen in a movie not not just not grisly or anything but uh-huh. the most unsettling one of the it's it's a it's a, just a shot of her like kneeling down i think she's kneeling down and it's a side shot of her face and and she knows that i can't remember exactly what happens i think he's showing up showing back up and finds her or whatever uh-huh. and there's this like just evil like smile that creeps up on her cheek basically uh. like she's just like normal and then it's like a her you just see her lips just kind of curl up into this smile wow and it's just that's ne- i'll never forget that and of course i'll watch it again and find out that i was completely imagining <laughs> <laughs> but that's she, how subtle she it was proceeds yes. to torture him the rest of the yeah, movie right? yeah well yeah it's uh I, I know that there's one thing involving uh putting him in a bag and like leaving him in the bag and all that or something like that type of thing there's like a i don't remember everything about the movie i just remember it being like you know it starts off like oh (laughs) and then you got mail yeah yeah exactly (laughs) i'll give you another one i just uh watched yesterday half-assed it was on tv while i was doing stuff Uh, the vanishing oh yeah Yeah, jeff bridges Kiefer sutherland it's also a a remake but i I know that one the best um sandra bullock Mm -hmm. and basically Kiefer and Sandra Bullock are a couple. They're on a trip. They, they're at a gas station. She goes inside to get beer. Never sees her again. And he's obsessed with finding out what happened to her and finding her. Did she leave him? Was she kidnapped? Uh, what what happened? He's putting posters up everywhere. And this goes on for years to the point where somebody asked. He's a writer. Somebody asked him to write a book about how obsessed he's become with this. <laughs> uh, but he meets Nancy Travis in a bar. They they start to date. Uh, he's happy again, and then she finds out he's got a secret room where he's keeping all of the Sandra Bullock in, in investigation stuff going, and he's written a novel that tells that says "I love you, Diane Sandra Bullock." Yeah, yeah, even yeah. when I'm hugging my current girlfriend, right, I'm thinking right. of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's basically an emotional drama huh. up until the two third point when Jeff Bridges decides to insert himself into this guy's life. And says, I'm the guy that took Diane. And if you want to know what happened, um, drink this drugged coffee and everything that happened to her will happen to you. And it turns into like this psychological thriller where they have to race. Nancy Travis has to figure out what's going on and race to try and get there in time. But up until then, it's almost like an... You know, an investigation into the human mind. Huh. Uh, I can't remember how he inserts himself. This, doesn't Kiefer find something that... Doesn't he... F- no, he sends him a letter. He sends Kiefer a letter that says... Oh, so he really does just jump right in then? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I, I'd i forgotten that part of the movie. Um, I, I just assumed that he had found something that led him to possibly this person. No, he had actually... He had actually finally made peace. Mm-hmm. She, Nancy Travis was going to leave him, and in it, they're having an argument, and she literally drives him to the gas station where Diane disappeared and forces him to confront that and say, choose me or the memory of her. This is your last chance. And he chooses her. 
And huh. they're, they're going to go on with their lives and he's going to let the girl go. They tear down all the investigation stuff in the hotel room. And then Jeff Bridges sends him a letter <laughs> that has all the details that only the kidnapper would know. And he goes right back off the cliff. And Jeff huh. Bridges has this wonderfully weird accent. It's really uh, weird. Yeah. It, you, it's like the kind of accent you'll you'll spend way too much time trying to place he's it. Like, <laughs> like, how did he come up with he's this? He's like, drink this coffee. Yeah. It's really. It, it is drugged. I'm, really? Yeah. When you're doing research, cutting this up, just look for a clip from that huh. movie of him because every line sounds like what he just did mm, <laughs> and it's like three accents rolled into one like yeah. for a while i thought like he had some kind of lisp or something yeah <laughs> yeah and then i was like well maybe he's just from a country i've never heard of well anyway I don't that, know what it is. you know that's the that's the like some this is an aside because i'm gonna bring up another movie but uh it, it those type of characters are so scary man because they have really no purpose to what they're doing they just enjoy doing the, th the things like that Robert Blake well, yeah it's extra but, uh, creepy because he gives this whole speech about he jumped off a bridge and rescued a girl that was drowning and his daughter said you're my hero you're the bravest man I've ever known and he realized in that moment unless he could do something as evil as what he had just done was heroic he would never deserve his daughter's love like he's creepy right, as fuck right. in this movie so um, it's it's the same thing with a character that, that's in the movie compliance i don't know if you guys have ever yeah, seen yeah, yeah. that movie uh, -huh. uh compliance is i i struggled during the movie understanding really why these people went as far as they did apparently it really happened it did um I, you know if i were had, had been working in that restaurant that day i would have been like fuck you you yeah. can come on down here if you want but you do you know the story of compliance Jeremy? Like somebody called the store and got the somebody somebody calls the store and says that there's a drug bust and that one of the employees is suspected and you're gonna have to like inspect her purse and all that and then it gets more and more fucked up mm -hmm. like you know like yeah, i remember reading about it when it happened you're gonna have to you know she needs to take her clothes off then you need to start doing this and that and then you find out it's just this dude who's just at home and he's got kids yep. and he's like and he's just like this is he just gets off on it i guess you know it's yeah. just it, it's uh fascinating those type of characters and you know there's motherfuckers like that out there mm -hmm. so anyway nancy travis though man. yeah man <laughs> I know what you're saying. It's like, a, like that is a that is uh that is early to mid '90s chic. Nancy Travis. She was beautiful. Yes, Destiny she was. turns on the radio. Nancy. That's Travis. right. Yeah, Ooh. Nice. There's there's nice. one. That's pulling one out. You know, like you had so married an axe murderer during that time, uh -huh. and you had the vanishing, and yeah, man, I love me some Nancy I Travis. I felt like Nancy Travis would have been so much better than Andy McDowell in Groundhog Day. Oh, she would have been better than Andy McDowell in most things. Well, sure. But uh, I don't know. She would have. I think she would have fit in very well in that one. Yeah, she would have worked in Groundhog Day for sure. Okay, here we go. Favorite dialogue-less sequence, character, mm. or entire mm. film. Mm. All right. Well, I've I've already talked about uh, a scene from We Own the Night where Joaquin Phoenix is in a is in the car chase with uh, Robert Duvall and all that. Yeah. Discussed that many times. Uh, I don't know if I want to recommend the movie completely, but watch it for that mm -hmm. in, in in particular. Uh, was one that uh, I I thought of uh, after that. I love the scene after David Dunn and Unbreakable. And in fact, well, that whole action scene is dialogueless, actually. Yeah. Um, where he's where he finds the guy in the yellow slicker and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but after that, when they're at the kitchen table and there's the newspaper with the like the mysterious figure yeah. saves whatever, and he 
pushes the newspaper over to his son and his son looks down at it and then he looks up at his dad and his, and bruce willis is like gives that little nod yeah, and then so and then the kid's got that like look on his face like <laughs> you really are the hero i always thought you were always always love that scene that is great so good this is m night Shyamalan when before he started doing bullshit <laughs> um it was, it, it's a, such a perfect perfect uh dialogueless scene that whole movie is pretty quiet yeah it is i'll tell you what a recent example of this is a lot of war for the planet of the apes mm-hmm. oh, yeah. i mean yeah. there's long stretches where they're communicating via sign language um which is crazy because there are some times where the apes can actually talk like maurice squeezes out a few words and i think rocket says a few words mm-hmm. and uh, blue eyes but caesar's the only one that has like you know full speech it looks like and now like pretty advanced speech yeah uh which is kind of crazy because they've all had the same drug at this point right i don't know but anyway um throughout that first little bit where uh they're traveling and they're tracking down the colonel's crew and everything after uh the one thing happens to set the whole story in motion they're 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 just going about it quietly. You see the landscape change between uh, forest, and then it becomes winter, and it starts snowing. That stretch, man, really had me engaged. It was so quiet in that theater that we were in that you didn't want to move or like cough or anything like that. Or pay attention to the kid next to pay you. Pay attention to the kid next to. You. Luckily, mm. I was didn't have somebody that was mm. messing with their <laughs> recliner. But uh, it's it's really really makes that movie I think more compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, a scene from Catch Me If You Can mm. at the end when he's found out his dad died and escapes the plane. Oh, Tom Hanks yeah. is bringing him back, and he runs to his mom's house, and it's Christmas, and he looks in the window, mm-hmm. and she has a husband mm-hmm. and a kid, a little girl. The little girl's the only one that notices he's there, and he just kind of has this realization that he's got nothing. He's mm-hmm. got no one. Even his family have either died or replaced him with a new kid and moved on, and and how empty everything he's done up to that point is. And I think that's a key for that character as to why he would later go on to help um, the FBI in work for them mm-hmm. of course it helps him get out of jail a little early but um i've always loved that dialogue free quiet i think you can hear christmas music i think you can hear the police siren lights as they catch up to him and come to arrest him and at that point he's just backing away and he's like okay well take he's me just away. He, he's just he's communicating with the little girl behind the window and and uh like um and he just kind of like mouths the words to whatever, you know, like, you know, how old are you? I think is yeah, one of them. Right. And she's like four or whatever. And, and, uh, it's like, he's like, where's your mommy or whatever. And she points over to, you know, who, who used to be his mom really. Um, it is a really sad type of scene because it's, yeah, he has nobody, but not only does he have nobody, but his mom moved on and is happy without him. Yep. Uh, which is the, uh, you know, the, the real heartbreaking part of that. Well, and he's only still, what, in his teens at this point, right? I think at that point he's like 19, 18, something like that. He's I don't super remember. young. I yeah, don't he's super young throughout to. this whole thing, isn't he? Yeah, no, I think he, he starts he's when been, he's like 15. Yeah, well, he, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's doing this for years. So it starts off by saying what Mary Sue slash Marty Stew like characters. You know what? I, I you know what? You can go ahead and and talk about how I think this is bullshit. The, these character these type of characters are mm-hmm. bullshit. Okay. I mean, you can I we hate can come this Mary we, Sue thing. We can come up we can come up with examples. I'm fine with with doing this, and I'm and I'm not you know shitting on the the person right, giving us mm-hmm. this question. Uh, but I do believe it's bullshit for the most part. Uh, to write a character that 
okay, maybe it is annoying that they have all these great qualities and mm-hmm. there's no negatives to them and yeah. all that. Maybe that is kind of annoying or whatever, but there are people like that yeah. out there. If there aren't, then okay, then I guess <laughs> I guess you got me there. What's interesting though is when this question came up, I started like doing research and everything. I was like, give me some inspiration, internet. And uh <laughs> and most of the for the most part, everybody's coming up with Wesley Crusher in Star Trek or uh Ray in Star Wars or Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Very few, like at, like there wasn't very many things that were coming up that were like true examples of this mm-hmm. and everything. I disagree, by the way, with most of those examples. Um, but uh in general, I think it's just kind of a bullshit like thing that people have brought up to Let's once again find a way to like, you know, it's like the Bechdel test. It's not a real thing. Ah. It's just a thing somebody made up and now people just use it as an excuse to rip out a movie. Well, yeah. And the Bechdel test is famously not not being serious like that. The the original comic that came out, it was it it basically holding a movie to a standard that is nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. And even movies that pass the Bechdel test. There's some that are stupid and shitty. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Just because you don't have, you know, two women talking about a man and all this other bullshit rules that are that are involved with it. Uh, I I just when I was looking at all this stuff and looking at characters that that a lot of these articles were writing about, like saying somebody said Neo was one of these people who's mm-hmm. like impossibly good and um and everything like that. I I couldn't find any, I couldn't think of really very many other than the ones that they came up with. And that's usually the same ones over and over and over again. Wesley Crusher, Ray, Luke Skywalker. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're the centerpiece of the movie. They have to do that. Yeah. When that was talked about with Ray and force awakens, I was like, well, she's a Jedi. Yeah. How is this like, uh, everybody who jumped on that bandwagon ripping that movie for having a Mary Sue is mm-hmm. just well, jerking and, off. And well, That's all they're doing. And and what exactly offends you so much about having a character like that? Mm-hmm. I don't. That's where I. That's where I don't get it. And maybe I need to do more studies. I don't know, <laughs> but I've never understood that. I didn't sit there and watch Star Wars: Force Awakens going. You know what? Ray's too fucking impossible to be a person that actually exists. Yeah. I can't stand that shit. I mean, who actually does that except for Max Landis? But like I was just sitting there like going like I couldn't find really So my answer to this question, even though I think this is a bullshit thing, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry if if the if the questioner believes in this very much mm-hmm. and everything, I don't mean to pay any disrespect to the questioner. Mm-hmm. Uh uh I don't, but the one character that I thought of was Ender from Ender's Game. Oh. And even though he's not impossibly attractive or anything like there's a, like those are the other like parts of the, you know, Mary Sue, Marty Stu, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, is like he's not really popular, but neither is Neo and neither is Luke Skywalker and a right. lot of these other people that they talk Ray isn't. Right. She didn't have friends. Um <laughs> Ender is impossibly intelligent, knows how to do everything. The one redeeming part, and this is what they're talking about in the question, mm-hmm. is that the redeeming part is actually a negative, is that he is willing to sacrifice his friends in the simulation right. uh, to to get to the greater good. This is sort of the Captain Kirk, uh, whatever fucking, uh, what is that? Kobayashi Maru. Kobayashi Maru thing, mm-hmm. where they decide, I'm going to break the rules, I'm going to do the things that 
are impossible. I'm going to say, I'm going to sacrifice millions of my own people to win this thing. Yeah. Of course, then there's an even bigger surprise after that. But um, I felt like Ender sort of felt sort of uh, got into that the category, but mm-hmm. I haven't really looked into it. It's never bothered me enough. The uh, I noticed one thing that does, it does kind of bother me, but I don't think that they, I don't think they qualify though. James Bond, Ethan Hunt, Jason mm-hmm. Bourne, all these characters yeah. are, are impossibly good at everything. There's always explanation, though. They had years of training right. to do this and years of experience and everything. I watched Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol on the plane to Vegas a couple weeks ago, rewatched it, and I was I was sort of getting annoyed at how Ethan Hunt could do everything like (laughs) yeah i know you're good man but come on is there anything that makes you stumble whatsoever ever in these things it's like he always knows every language knows like (laughs) the exact way to go into something all that so that got kind of annoying but Mm. anyway that's my piece on that i just think it's a meaningless conversation to have Mm -hmm. like because what what you end up doing is spending all your time trying to find some collective definition of Mary Sue and everybody's got a different interpretation well, of it. Well, yeah, that's the that's the thing that's bullshit about it the most maybe. Yeah. Is that a lot of the characters that you come up with, oh, they're not exactly the same. They don't have the same traits yeah. at all. Yeah. Like, oh, they just happen to be the one good person that's amazing at everything, you know. I can, I mean, Luke Skywalker and all the, the you know, you're talking about, yeah, they're Jedi. Yeah. You know, the, they're supposed to be some sort of inherent like knowledge within them yeah. like yeah if they weren't i guess if there were you know if luke wasn't uh, rife with midi-chlorians like <laughs> i guess that would rife <laughs> i guess that would be like weird that he knows all this shit and everything but no he's he's comes from good good stock man <laughs> all right let's do one last one here uh music question what is a band you like, despite being very popular and having a large catalog of music, seems to be treated like a one-hit wonder on the radio? Uh, I was listening to the radio for the first time in ages when Tom Sawyer from Rush came on, and I remember a long period where that seemed to be the only Rush song that would play on any that station. That is very interesting, mm-hmm. because when I was listening to classic rock stations, they'd always like try to stick Limelight and mm-hmm. a lot of other different Rush songs in there. But Tom Sawyer definitely is the, yeah, the one that wow. they like to play a lot. But there's a lot of British bands in the eighties that I feel like this falls under. Now I personally probably aren't like sitting there owning all their albums and everything, but they had a lot more hits than, than the one that we know them for. Mm-hmm. The Smiths is one of them. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, we know about, you know, the, uh, how soon is now yep. and all that. We know that song more than any others, but they had so many other hits or not hits, but like not in America anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that was the thing. A lot of these bands like simple minds yeah. and, uh, soft cell, soft cell and all mm-hmm. that. Like they would have their big, huge hit in America. And then they'd go off back to their own country and have like huge, <laughs> huge hits yeah. there that like, I was reading, I was, I was reading about crash test dummies. Remember they had that oh, yeah. mm-hmm song. They're Canadian, right? They're Canadian. Mm-hmm. Duh, Canadian. Okay. <laughs> um, they were Canadian. They had the mm song that was prevalent in 1994. But that was a huge hit here. And then uh, basically they didn't have any other hits at all 
in America at all. But in Canada, they would was hitting the top ten regularly. They have like nine or ten hits <laughs> in crazy. Canada. I can crash test dummies. I know, man. right? When uh, when you live in a period where mm, 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 yep is the name of a hit on the radio, that's right. That's a great period. Well, and and what, what would you consider the the era where Bawataba was? The <laughs> <name>? <laughs> You got something? I'm going to whip out a little M&M. Okay. Uh, because unless you specifically go to a 90s era station, pretty much all you're ever going to hear on M- from M&M on the radio these days is with uh, Lose Yourself. Um, now, if you go to the 90s station like I do, you can sometimes get um, The Real Slim Shady or My Name Is. But the dude has dozens and dozens of songs that are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, put out an album. A year and a half ago with Berserk on it, mm-hmm. and no one ever plays any of that music. Yeah. And I don't know why. It's just like, oh, we, we got to slot some Eminem in here. Okay, go grab Lose Something Yourself. About, there's a shelf life for rappers, right? I think so. Uh, they have this period of time where they come out with like everything for three or four years. This is why, like, you know, Kendrick Lamar, like, how big is he going to be? in three or five years is he going to still be as big as he is now it's it's kind of a question he's at that point where he's come out with four big huge albums yeah. all in a row eminem is a good one though like eminem mm-hmm. like i mean that guy could do no wrong i think his yeah. vivo channel is still one of the top ones yeah. too yeah um and, and yeah i mean they it's it's weird like they just don't nothing new that he come out with ever hits the radio dr dre had that long gestating album yeah for a long time finally came out with it i don't think i heard a song off of it oh it's not very good well <laughs> you know that could be it too they're just not good anymore but eminem i think has done man that most recent album i was loving it yeah it was it was old school yeah that's not the one that had love the way you lie on it right that was from a few years ago yeah yeah you're right but yeah, I mean, Lose Yourself is going to be like his flagstone. Well, and I don't even consider the shit he does with Rihanna Eminem songs. Mm-hmm. I know he mm-hmm. raps on them. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think Lose Yourself is, at the same time, his best musical accomplishment mm-hmm. uh, and should probably be the thing we remember him for most uh, because that song is damn near perfect. Yeah, it is. But he's got a lot of great songs, and I just don't I don't feel like it's, I ever get to hear them. Is it because maybe possibly the 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 era of rap that they're in is sort of i mean it's, it happens to a lot of bands to rock bands too like where they have a certain music that works for the time and everything eminem's like top hits are from the late 90s and early 2000s yeah. and nobody makes that kind of music nope. anymore it, it, that kind of that fun loopy type yeah, of yeah. Uh, stuff that eminem was known for you know, in the early '90s, it was gangster rap that was a big, huge deal, and then it, people started started saying, "Okay, let's chill out a little mm-hmm. bit." Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it could just be a function of the era that they're in, and rap goes fast. Yeah. Like it's you got a five year window, and then you got to, you know, yeah, either either keep up or just move to the side. Yeah, I think that those early 2000s, that era in hip hop was some of the the most interesting hip hop that was ever made. Mm-hmm. You had outcast ludicrous miss misdemeanor elliot like all these things even nelly to a certain extent mm-hmm. doing weird stuff i'd say that that era is akin to the early 90s in alternative music mm-hmm. uh where just anything you throw anything at the wall buster rhymes was huge in that that era so yeah it was, it was one of my favorite periods in hip-hop um i've got a million of these obviously but i'll, I'll just choose one it was surprising to me i was watching one of these like vh1 countdowns like one hit wonders mm. 
and one of them they named Ben Folds. Oh, really? Uh, that? For his brick song. Jesus. She's a brick in a... Um, yeah, that's that's what he's most known for. Now, I know Ben... I've been following Ben Folds from Ben Folds 5 into Ben Folds for years and years and years. Chris and I actually saw him at the symphony mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago. And he's got an uh, incredible catalog of amazing stuff. So it's really surprising to me that people would categorize him as a one-hit wonder or I and I I get it because Brick was a huge song. It was 95, 96, something I don't like remember, that. Somewhere around there. Um and it was a huge song, but when your top song, he's kind of a, a prankster and he's, you know, a, a lot of there's a lot of humor in there and he's known best for this abortion song. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't like that at all. And anytime I've seen him play live, I think he's played it once. And probably just because, you know, people want to hear, play Brick, play Freebird, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my pick. I mean, I could go into early 90s hip hop mm-hmm. that actually had um, kind of a similar thing where it was it was a, a product of that time, mm-hmm. like Blackstreet. Yeah. Uh, you just gave me another one. Oh, yeah? Another, another boner? Oh, sorry. Fountains of Wayne. They only ever play <laughs> Stacey's mom. Oh, yeah. No kidding. And Fountains of Wayne, uh, Stacey's mom is probably their worst song. Absolutely, it is. And... Um, I didn't realize that until I just heard you talking about Ben Folds. It's the mm-hmm. same kind of era for me when I was listening to both of those at the same time. Well, it's kind of like Not a Surf, right? Not a Surf yeah. is yeah, known yeah. for popular, and they, I mean, famously, everybody who's into Not a Surf says, well, that's probably one of their worst songs. They have a lot of great other songs. And, and, they, and they don't sound anything like that song. Right, like, yeah. started sounding a lot more like, I don't know, Mumford and Sons and stuff. Or, yeah. Well, Not a Surf, <laughs> actually, they did the, uh, the theme for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, didn't they? Oh, no, that was Nerf Herder. No, Nerf Herder. <laughs> yeah, it the... has something Earth in it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they did. Is the winner of 77? Is that them? Uh, I don't know. But it's uh, it's it's casual rock. It's not like anything like popular. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Good call with Fountains of Wayne, yep. by the way. They've got a song called Hackensack. This is one of my favorite songs of all if time. get back. <laughs> so fucking great. All right. Well, that'll do it for this Sincast. Uh, please keep going to SoundCloud, which is... I hear uh, doing well, according to Chance the Rapper. Yes. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, the SoundCloud is fine for the time being. You will be the first people to know. We will let you know if there's any problems with SoundCloud. It will suck if SoundCloud does go away, though, because uh, then then we'll have a whole like 80-something episodes where we've been saying, go to SoundCloud, give us your thoughts. <laughs> uh, but that's the most efficient way permanence. to to, uh, to contact us. Because we see all those comments. We try to respond to as many of them as we can. Feel free to tweet us at CinemaSins, at Music Video Sins. You know, but SoundCloud is the most efficient way right now. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sherrill. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit CinemaSins.com. baby-faced yeah got the baby face going oh, on i didn't even realize you shaved mm-hmm. that's exactly how distracted i am today yeah yep yep um i feel weird that i have the only beard in the room now i did the re- i did the big uh, richard kimball thing in fugitive man i got the scissors started cutting it down you know was, <laughs> i only thing i didn't have was like the like the hair coloring shit yeah, and all yeah. that other, you know whatever whenever i have a big long beard and i like to shave it 
uh, into something goofy and then mm-hmm. surprise my wife. So like, I, I take out the clippers uh-huh. and I'll buzz some kind of weird pattern or I'll just leave like two flayed out six inch swaths on, on both cheeks. And then I'll like pull it out like an evil mustache and I'll walk into the room like bobbing my head. My <laughs> that was the interesting like, thing after I'd cut like a significant portion of it. And it was, you know, like the beginning whiskers were there. I was like, hmm, maybe maybe this style I can sport at some point yeah. or whatever. But uh, yeah. I actually, you remember in every like Psych 101 book, there was a, a section about hemi neglect where it's it's a picture of a dude that has shaved only one side of his face because he doesn't recognize that the other side of his face is there. Oh, no. It's where it, there's different ways to, to cause it, but it is a phenomenon. I actually met a guy that had this. Mm-hmm. Uh, his corpus callosum was severed. Um, the, what, the is, connective, what is that? The connective tissue that separates the hemispheres in the brain. Mm-hmm. And the connectivity between those two had found a different way, like he was otherwise functional. But he, he would only eat one side of the plate. If he was eating, he would only say, shave one side of his face. Oh, my God. He would have to have somebody come in and shave the other side of it. Wow. That's uh, but fascinating. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, and then I had another patient that had this an agenesis of the corpus callosum, which means that it never grew. Mm-hmm. So there's no direct connection between the two hemispheres. Mm-hmm. But for some plasticity reason, his brain ended up like compensating for it so he didn't have any other problems except for schizophrenia but it was a mild case but, mm-hmm. um yeah it was really weird I, like we got him in the mri and they're like where the fuck is this corpus callosum? yeah <laughs> it should be right there <laughs> examined him rectally to find that he was without rectum yeah <laughs> mm. i was watching a little bit of robin hood men in tights before i left mm-hmm. and i forgot dave Chappelle was in that mm-hmm. like early dave Chappelle's career in no way foreshadows what a, what a legend he will go on to become. Nope. He was uh, he was in Con Air, wasn't he? Oh, probably. <laughs> he was in Con Air. I think I purged that movie from my brain. Oh. I might bring that up, actually, today. <laughs> that is pretty <laughs> Ridiculous premise. uh, premises. Uh, he was in Con Air. He was in Men in Tights. I liked him in Men in Tights. He was like, look, I'm on one side of the creek, and now I'm on the other. <laughs> <laughs> Just jump over. I went down a rabbit hole last night. I almost tweeted about this, but I was watching Starship Troopers on Stars, and decided I'd seen this movie enough in recent weeks that I was going to flip to something else. Mm -hmm. So I went through the guide and saw that TBS was running their Friends reruns, and I clicked to it, and it was the episode with the redhead girl from Starship Troopers in it, where she's at a play with Joey, and they sleep together. Oh, yeah. Um... And Ben Stiller's also in that episode. But then I, I was like, I can't remember her name. So I went and looked up Starship Troopers, clicked on her name. She's got bazillions of credits. She's really? been on every sh- TV show you've ever heard of. Interesting. Um, and she's been in a lot of movies. So. She was in Saw 3. Oh. Dina Meyer, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. That's yeah. Diz. Hmm? <laughs> Diz from Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with a future where we all bathe naked together. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I actually had Starship Troopers 3 was on the TV somehow, and there's another naked bathing scene in mm-hmm. Starship Troopers 3. It's tradition. It's a hallmark. Is it in all of them? It's no, like, I don't it's know. It's like Jason Bourne having a car chase in every movie. <laughs> um, if you were naked. <laughs> But yeah, they 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 sort of they sort of just oh, well, this is the future. Everybody's cool with this now. Like you don't really like I I understand there's some sort of equality there, but like like how does that how did that ever translate? Like they they had to have like 
passed a law or something, yeah, there was right? Where they were like, they're like, look, be grown up about this, guys. That's basically the that's basically the law, right? Be grown up about this. Men and women can shower together without it being sexual. Well, I mean, remember uh, Ally McBeal? It was kind of like a big deal that that law firm in the show had co-ed bathrooms. Mm-hmm. But now I see unisex bathrooms everywhere. Like mm-hmm. it's a trendy thing in restaurants now to have like three bathrooms that are male, female. Just go in there and make sure you're clean. But they're one seaters, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in Allie McBeal, it was like each individual stall was all together, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's wild. That's progressive. It's, a, it's funny how that show was a cultural cornerstone for like two or three years. And then people either got tired of it or they just they were too self-aware or doesn't that happen with most of david e kelly's shows i think so picket fences mm-hmm. boston legal yeah they've all they all have a two three year run where they're super popular and then it just kind of wanes yeah it's it, it's like the style of it is a great novelty at first and then you know it gets into three or four seasons and people are like <sighs> it starts eye rolling yeah this is a very long entry on his character, not Peter McNichol, but his character in Alec McBeal. Wait, is it some kind of wiki? Yeah, it's Wikipedia. Because there's a lot of those, those fan, like the I guess fans yeah. make a whole Wikipedia over it. And they usually go deep on those. Somewhat similar to the Wikipedia page, but I don't think Wikipedia has anything to do with it. No, I think there's like a, some kind of open source wiki thing where you can build your own. Right, but oh, those yeah, they, uh, yeah, those things are deep, man. A lot of times oh, we're doing. Um, we're doing anything comic book related i'll i'll just for background i'll go and look and see like you know these characters what their origins are and what they where they first came from and what their powers are and all this stuff <laughs> you know yeah. you, you go to almost any comic book character in these wikipedia things and that you know it says abilities that's mm-hmm. what that's the that's the headline and you go underneath it and it's like Geez, I mean, all of these superhero characters have essentially the same, like, if you combine all of their comic book runs together, they have all the same powers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you know, in, in comic, in uh, whatever, Amazing Stories number three, <laughs> this superhero was able to, uh, you know, jump over an entire building <laughs> that never showed up again, whatever. <laughs> Mm. they've always they've got like mm. transportation and weaponry and things like mm-hmm. that right yeah it's crazy i think there was even like some kind of spider mobile was there oh for Spider-Man. yes he had some kind of corny car or something yeah i because i think my son has that toy oh lovely. he does he also has in the they've got these lego mini things that the the mini figures are even more miniature because the legs are short and he's got like a helicopter in that oh Right. Mm, maybe that's what and, i'm thinking of a spider cop mm. i was looking at a picture of it and my kid was showing it to me and i was like what is that and he's like that's spider-man's vehicle and i was like what are you talking about he's like it's a helicopter yeah. how do you not know this like i've never seen spidey in a well, why would spider-man need a helicopter no he's fine He'd get up there on his own well he could get a trip with the vulture <laughs> mm-hmm mm-hmm just drag you all the way up to the stratosphere. By the way, is there any way for Spider-Man to breathe in that atmosphere way up where there's a fucking jet? Because, you know, the Vulture had to have his, like, mask for oxygen and stuff Well, like I don't think so, because they show the jet is pretty close to the skyline. Most of that whole... never really gets too far out of the airspace of New York, I don't think. It doesn't go up any... Well, I, hear, I, I heard that they tested the breathability of spiders in space and <laughs> found out that they could do it for about a week without air. 
Yeah. Space spiders? Totally. I'm definitely not going to space That's now because right. there's fucking spiders. Well, they're, they're long dead now. Um, as long as it's not within a week. Yeah, as long as long as you don't go up there seven days. After. And I try to get everywhere. Of course, you never do. You go out and you get out and look in the <laughs> mirror, and there's like usually like a whole strip, and you're like, I put that razor everywhere. Yeah. <laughs>